Alrighty then. Hello and welcome everybody. Hi. <laughs> Hi everyone. Um, we are here with another episode of Cherry Step. And we don't have as good of a microphone as I hope we would have uh, by now, but my lab might die and the company's taking a sweet time sending a replacement. So, we are using this for now, and uh, it's a pretty good one, but uh, it's a little awkward to set it up. Today we have a light episode, so to speak. Let's see. We an episode go. for me to be surprised about the content. So. Yeah, basically. Well, you're an expert on so many other topics so often that you know, once in a while. Sure. I think it's okay to. <laughs> thing is that you're never really that surprised by it. So. You know, I, I love to stumble through this list of things. <laughs> You're not doing <laughs> I don't But I did want to um, bring up something from a previous show about the, the Google Pontiff Supremacy. I don't have the quote in front of me, but take my word for it that, and look it up yourself if you'd like, and send me a link so I can be, uh, so I can seem better informed <laughs> with links to give to people. But I read recently that the response to the article about the quantum supremacy of the Google's um, quantum computing drive is questioned by IBM and they're, the way they're questioning it was like, well, that's not very something. It was just, it was no, the reason I don't have the quote and I don't remember it because there was no real criticism. It was just like, well, they're, they're not, it's not good. So it's basically, so, so you're telling me people who failed at quantum computing, IBM with the, so the, the D-Wave. What is that? From, from uh, back in 2012, I think it was. It's, like, it's a long ass time ago the D-Wave came out. It was supposed to be a quantum computer. It didn't do jack. It was a failure. And, uh, you know, they had this big announcement and stuff. I'm pretty sure it was IBM. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it makes sense that they'd be like, anybody else comes along and does it, they're like, it's not. Uh. <laughs> right. That was. That's kind of. That was the quote, basically. It was just like. <laughs> that was the quote that I just. I just gave it. Exactly. That was the quote. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> exactly right. Also, I had the wrong microphone on, and now I have the right one. So <laughs> oh great! <laughs> it was still a microphone. It was just you know. Somewhere the else. one down there. <laughs> okay. Um. So. You have the microphone. You just switch to the worst of the microphone. You're on. I did um, audio monitoring on myself, oh, and okay. this microphone, like, I can whisper into it, and it's perfect. Wow. Yeah, I'm actually in insanely impressed with this particular microphone, and we're actually getting a second copy of these headphones to review, and I'm like, I just reviewed these headphones, but I'll do it again, because <laughs> I like them. <laughs> and these ones have RGB around the, uh, a little RGB color around the, the muffs, which makes me happy. But all right, uh, let me try to pull up the stories that we're going to be talking about today. But um, so, okay, um, there was a quantum, uh, what are you doing? Nothing. 
(laughs) 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 There was a computing effort by IBM, is what you're saying. Yes, quantum computing effort by IBM, this is true. And they didn't do it. They accomplished nothing. They had a big announcement. They had, they, they hauled it. Somebody, I think somebody spent a bunch of money on it too. I mean, of course the IBM themselves did, but I I think they got like other funding or yeah, other corporations, et cetera. And it's just, uh, it just didn't do anything. Went nowhere. Um, because, well, you know, a lot of times it's because the, the entire, um, premise behind it ends up being, you know, inaccurate and, uh, and they don't, they're, they're trying to, they're just spending so much time on trying to control noise and make it quiet, you know, they, they, and they just, it's so hard to get that done, they're not really getting that done, and then they're not, um, they're coming at it from a wrong angle, they're having a hard time controlling oh. noise, they're, just, there's so many different things wrong with it. I found it, it was, um, specifically Quanta. Okay, yeah, it was specifically Quantum Magazine, which is where we read the other one. And the quote is, As a result, IBM argued that Google's claims should be received with a large dose of skepticism. Wow, that's a hell of criticism. (laughs) That is an impressive, critical argument. You should be skeptical of them like like you are of us. So why all the confusion? Um... And there's more information why there's a confusion, and I can post this for you guys um, to read on your own time, because I'm not really gonna, not not really worried about it, not really too worried about it. But I do have an interesting story for you all that is a true story, and hopefully in this you know bleak month of December, <laughs> where it's snowy and rainy and cold. And everyone has sad seasonal affective depression disorder, whatever. And uh, you know, sometimes family time during the holidays can be particularly difficult for. <laughs> I think that's why everybody's sad. It's the, <laughs> it's the family shit. <laughs> Not wrong. So a lot of times, what family ends up reminding you of is how you're a loser that hasn't done anything worthwhile in life. Or, <laughs> so, or they remind you how much that they don't love you. Because you're a loser hasn't done anything. So anyway, point point is, there is, um, I feel it anyway, and I know a lot of you do as well, where there's this pressure, this sort of cultural aspect of what have you accomplished? Where were you at? This is the youngest senator, 31 years old. What did you do today? You know, that sort of like rhetoric or the cultural sort of aspect is, I think, very strongly there for a lot of us, especially on the on the younger side. Uh, those that are more millennial, elder millennial, you know, there's, we've inherited this culture of like, well, what have you done? Why don't you own a house? I own a house by this time. So there's this general feeling of inadequacy, feeling like, um, I've been seeing a lot lately too, the reminder that things take time. Um, and also reminders that for your views or your streams, you know, if you uh, have five people watching you, that's a, a car. If you have 20 people watching you, that's a bus. If you have 500 people watching you, that's an entire auditorium. Like you have to think about, put things into proper perspective of how huge these small numbers actually are and how long some things take. For instance, you know, the, um, I forget the exact details, but there was even a commercial done um, 
uh, by Kaiser Permanente, good for them, uh, that mentioned all these different scientists who uh, got their, no not Nobel necessarily, but they discovered something important in their 70s, that they were, you know, doing a lot of important oh, yeah, things. Right. By, I remember that, that was good. Yeah, and, and I've seen that online as well, reminders of how long it took to make certain things, and so a lot of times I think we live in this... Um, we, we put upon ourselves an onus of having to do things and have them be accomplished immediately and get the rewards now and have, you know, have some sort of accolades to show for it. And then when you, when reality says, no, that's not how that works, we immediately think there's something wrong with us. We think that we're inadequate or that we're, you know, whatever. So I wanted to connect the Google show with this sort of not exactly mental health show like we've done other years um, around this time, but you know, a little bit in the spirit of, hey, you know, maybe like, it's okay. Just take your time and keep working on, if plan A doesn't work out, go to plan B. And so we're gonna talk about the founding of Google itself. And it's a true story. And here is the story. The two graduate students couldn't believe their luck. They had created new software, and now a large company with an inferior technology was considering buying them for one million. Other developers were selling their tech to large companies for tens of millions of dollars. But the grads were only asking for a million. Their plan was to take the money, buy houses, and then get back to doing research. The phone rang. So that house thing. <laughs> Even in there, it's already uh, we are showing what I'm talking about. The phone rang. It was a call from their attorney who was helping them sell their software. Bad news. The CEO rejected one million. But I think we can get him to bite if he reduced the price to 750000 The two students muted the phone and argued for a moment. 750 k They were sure it was worth more, but what else could they do? They reluctantly agreed. A few days later, their attorney responded. The large company has passed. The grad students were bummed. In order to make any money, they would need to turn to their plan B build the software into a real business. Plan B wasn't what they wanted, but they were both familiar with making sacrifices. The younger grad student was from a family of immigrants who had escaped to America from the Soviet Union. Before his family fled, he faced anti-Semitic prejudice every day. Must have been Ukraine. Receiving a higher education was nearly impossible. <laughs> both his parents lost their jobs for daring to even express interest in leaving the country. He and his family went without income or adequate for eight months while waiting for clearance to move to the United States. I guess they got it after all. That's nice. When they finally made it to safety, the student's life turned around. Moving was a struggle, but he was able to embrace his natural talents excelling at school. He set his sights on MIT, but was promptly rejected. MIT's rejection letter stung, and he had to move on to Plan B, Stanford. While at Stanford, he got assigned to work on a project with another grad student. They tried to work together, but both found the other cocky, assertive, and annoying. Why did they both annoy each other so much? Working side by side, they realized that they were nearly clones of each other. Similar interests, schooling, and intelligence. They annoyed each other because they were so similar. All of a sudden, they understood each other and how to work together. They turned their energies away from disliking each other towards a software project. And towards a software project. They were working on a tool for professors and students to quickly find the information they needed across thousands of documents. <laughs> they developed a cutting-edge algorithm that worked like a charm. Stanford loved it, and since it was a school project, Phil filed for a patent. Inspired by their... Was that Stanford patenting it? Their students' work? Or Stanford providing an avenue for students to patent their own work? 
because one of those is infinitely better than the other. Inspired by their software's initial reception, the graduate students came up with two plans. Plan A, sell the technology and return to research, or plan B, start a company around the technology. Plan A failed. Nobody wanted to buy it at one million, and nobody wanted to buy it for 750, $750,000. On to plan B. Plan B meant permanently dropping out of the doctorate program and pursuing their business full-time. The students approached the professor-turned-entrepreneur for advice. As they spoke to him, he picked up the phone and invited another investor to join the conversation. The following week, and that's why you go to college, kids. <laughs> knowledge and connections, but mostly the connections. But also knowledge and connections. That's really, as someone said, they are forever monetizable. And that's, and that's why a good college has to do with where rich people go. Yeah. Because they have the good connections yeah. that get you the money. Like Stanford. Right. <laughs> the following week, they were sitting across from their professor and two investors demoing their product. Ten minutes into the demo, one stopped them. I've seen enough. They glanced nervously at each other. What did this mean? The man fumbled through his coat pocket. You're onto something. He pulled out a checkbook. The professor turned entrepreneur did the same thing. Both men scribbled out checks and slid them across the table. The two students couldn't believe their eyes. It was more than enough to get their business off the ground. They committed to dropping out of school and went full steam ahead with their company. Their first office was a friend's garage, complete with blue carpet, a ping pong table, and tiki lamps in the corner. Oh, those darn tiki lamps. As the years passed, their offices evolved, but the have fun and get it done attitude never left. They eventually raised the $12.5 million funding round. From there, the company exploded, and today it's more than just a household name, it's its own verb. The founders were originally named the company Baccarat. Luckily, they went with Plan B again and renamed it to Google. The other student in the store. <laughs> Back, maybe it's like back end, I don't know. <laughs> the younger student in the story is Sergey Brin. The older student, Larry Page. The two would go on to build Google to become the third most valuable company in the world. A fun aside, Google is a play on the word spelled G-O-O-G-O-L. It's a mathematical term meaning one followed by 100 zeros. It hints at the amount of information that the search engine can quickly sort through. But the domain name was taken, so the founders just changed the spelling. Sometimes we treat plan B like it's an inferior option, like it's a consolation for missing the big opportunity. Larry and Sergey had a plan A that didn't pan out, but because they were able to take plan B just as seriously, Google is the enduring tech goliath that is today. Sergey and Larry didn't let any of their, quote, failures discourage them. They knew they had something of value, something better than anything else. They jumped into plan B and made it pay. That's their story. What's yours going to be? So that's fun. I enjoyed that. Um, so now you know the how how Google was uh, funded it, founded it, finned it, finned out it. Yeah. And we got stories to talk about that didn't actually make it into the title because apparently YouTube, a subsidiary of Google, <laughs> allows you only Google so much um, information characters. I wanted to talk about a thing that I thought was really cool. A lot of you probably won't think it's cool, but I think it's really cool. Cause, mostly because I've never run into anything like this before. <laughs> and the concept was fascinating, and it looks fun, and let's talk about Tensegrity. And the word is fun. Everything about this is fun. 
But this is a light little morsel before we get into more serious stuff. That's what it looks like. It's a bridge in Brisbane, so Australia. And uh, it's called Kurilpa, I guess. I'm assuming you rolled the R, because um, that sounds a little aboriginal. Um, yeah, that just looks like a mess. Yeah, but it's fun. <laughs> it's like a fucking mess. That looks like something that you would leave in your wake in Final Fantasy VII after you've taken like, down a mocker reactor. It looks like somebody like doesn't know what the fuck they're doing <laughs> building that bridge. That's what it looks like. <laughs> it's in Brisbane, uh, Brisbane, I guess. I don't, I don't know that I want to go across that bridge. Like, that thing's going to fall apart. Look at that thing. It's trash. Oh. It does look oh, bad. Poor bridge. I mean, I don't know. I mean, is it just because it's Tensegrity that it, that it looks so fucking bad? Because I mean, yeah. it seems like they could have used it and made it artistic still. Because it looks just like just a bag of hot trash. <laughs> it's just terrible. It's so ugly. How do I duplicate? Ha. Yeah, bitches. Because I can show you the bridge while reading about it. Yeah. So. Kurilpa Bridge. It's a 63 million Australian dollar dues. Provides a pedestrian and cycle crossing over the Brisbane River. Brisbane or Brisbane? I think it's Brisbane. I think it's Brisbane. Yeah. The bold design is the result of a two-year creative partnership between Cox Rayner, <laughs> uh, Balderstone, and Ara, a leader in the advanced geometry required for Densegrity-inspired structures. So what the shit is Densegrity? Um, Arup was responsible for engineering design, including structural engineering, civil engineering, blah, 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 blah. We're not going to advertise you, that's cool. Um, structural, uh, sculptural in appearance. <laughs> it reminds me of the sculpture I made for my art class as a final. <laughs> there's, a, there's a story behind that. <laughs> We're just going to chuckle at it ourselves and leave you out of it. <laughs> but maybe in the Patreon after show, uh, if you remind me, I will share the story. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't have Instagram at the time, so there are no pictures that survived before it got burned. But sculptural in appearance, if you say so, the bridge is a multi-mast cable stay structure based on principle of tensegrity, a first in city bridge construction. While the geometry of the bridge is informal, the cables in tension and tubes in compression are arranged with a structural rhythm. Yes. This provides the strength and resilience required for a structure that carries thousands of pedestrians and cyclists. So... Is that another? Oh, well, okay. Look at this picture. Well, now that they made it bluer, it does look a little bit... At least this, it doesn't look this fucking is it. rusted. This is also it. Okay. So it's got a little bit of a curve. Designed by Arup's lighting design specialist, the lighting scheme plays on the link between the pedestrian bridge and the gallery of modern art. That's modern art. Maybe that's why it looks like a bag of hot trash. Modern <laughs> art. We found the problem right there. They did there. say sculptural. Because I, I, I know they can make it look. You, you look at other the tensegrity things. It creates a feature of the bridge as a permanent work of art. A permanent work of trash. Highlighting structural element with a complementary glow. Lighting creates interest for users and passerbys with an arrangement ability luminaries programmed to produce an array of lighting effects. The scheme can be tailored to create for events, festivals, and sport, and is one of the largest bridge LED lighting installations. And here's what it looks like from above uh, before it goes into the little, I guess that's the pedestrian uh, loop, that, or this is the, also the pedestrian um, bit, but it 
has this, uh, one of these sides of it is the Museum of Modern Art. <laughs> I don't know which one, but um, yeah, it looks, it looks fun from that angle. Yeah, it still looks like a two-year-old uh, sticking chopsticks into mud or something. I mean, it's like it's it doesn't it doesn't look like there's no symmetry. It's 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 lacking uh, uh, some level of symmetry there. It just looks like a chaotic pile of sticks. It's like a kid playing with sticks. Is the volume a little bit better now? Is it is it still low? Because there's only so much I can do to turn it up. I can switch over to the other mic, but it'll provide a little more background noise. It won't be quite as as crisp. Well, we probably just needed to turn it up like he did. He probably did what needed to be done. Maybe. The one time when we're not yelling at the microphone is the time we need to be. <laughs> <laughs> if I'd known you to do that, I brought the other mic over here. The Got people, it, it, it was having problems. Really? Um, with that computer? Yeah. It's weird. So hopefully, uh, is it is it better now? Let us know. If it's not better, we'll just uh, switch over to a different mic. Now the uh, this bridge. Oh, that's that's why it's uh, it's on a Rob's website. <laughs> that's why it's advertising for itself so hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, solar power for sustainability. Kuriopa is one of the world's largest scale solar powered pedestrian bridges in the world. Oh, I guess the whole thing's pedestrian. With 84 photovoltaic panels. A what one? That's a cool word. Photovoltaic. The panels supply between 75 and 100% of the power required for lighting, with so surplus electricity fed into the grid. Oh, fun. And there's another view of it uh, with a slightly different color scheme. Mostly just looks like a lot of matchsticks or uh, sparklers. Yes. That ran out. Yeah, exactly. It's it's somebody had a bunch of sparklers. Sparklers. They ran out and they just stuck them in the mud. And there you have it. All right. Let's see what we can see with. So yeah, like I was saying in the beginning, we don't have our lav mic. Um, it's very nice, and I also don't have the um, the other microphone. microphone that I have here is it broke oh oh yeah yeah so we're very uh, low mic at the moment limited on mic options indeed but yeah let's go back to this one it, it's done pretty well in the past yeah it definitely did it was just a little bit more background noise so I was hoping for a bit of a cleaner more professional sounding audio but if it's gonna be too quiet let's forget that <laughs> Do -do -do. So, can you explain to me what the left-hand side grid is? Because they're not really explaining. Uh, it's just it's just basically opposing tension. I mean, it, so why is it, that? Why do we care to even make that? Why is that better than regular? Uh, it's kind of like um, I think it's it's a little bit like how you know how bones have all the like the hollow spaces in them, so that and that makes them uh, the the. The ratio of weight to strength goes way up because of the the um, the way that it's connected in a variety of places. Um, that's 
that's I think that's mainly what the whole Tensegrity thing is about. I really have it. I just only glanced at it. So I know I, mean, I got excited. I was like, send that to me. <laughs> I know, and then I was like, and, and then yeah, and then I, now I remember that you that you said you wanted to talk about it, and I was thinking, oh, I should actually look that up so I know something about it because. Oh, and then I, I told you you don't need to look anything up. And then you told me I don't need to. It's like, <laughs> don't I need to look something up? And like, like, no. like, no, you don't need to look anything up. Yeah. <laughs> and so as uh, as I um, had a premonition earlier about loving to fumble around incoherently about things, yes, uh, that's what I'm doing now. That's... <laughs> and that was a word from our expert. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So what is tensegrity? I have no fucking clue. Uh, other, well, kind of, anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm just guessing. so used to you knowing I'm, everything I ever No, asked. It's, very, it's a very specific thing. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, I, I mean, a lot of times it's... Uh... It is my question is like, tensegrity, like the word sort of explains itself, but like, why do we even care about... Tension integrity. You might, yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, the structural principle, uh, tensional integrity or floating compression is a structural principle based on the use of isolated components and compression inside a net of continuous tension in such a way that the compressed members, usually bars or struts, do not touch each other and the pressured tensioned members, usually cables or tendons, delineate the system spatially. Um, it was all went all the way back. Do to, not uh, touch each other. That they're touching each other in the middle, right there. And that that we're not touching each other. We're not that, actually touching each other. In that image, they're, mm -hmm. they're supposedly not touching each other. No, there's space between the bars in the middle. The one that's spinning. Mm -hmm. It doesn't look like it to me. I mean, it's hard. To, I mean, that's what I see. But I don't know. Yeah. There's other examples where. A lot of the bars, yeah, they don't seem to like. Well, to touch it would uh, if the bars are not touching each other. Then, the, then because you've got the cables, I mean, the, that would be a way to create um, something that's flexible, and creating that structures question, that are yeah. flexible is, is important for, um, uh, you know, how like a, something earthquakes that, and such. Too. Exactly, yeah, something. Right, that, that was my more, suspicion. And that way, it, with the. When you've got something more flexible than your typical building materials, that could actually be very useful. Mm. Uh, you know, because the, the amount of damage that can be done to something that is hard, mm -hmm. uh, you mm -hmm. know, is uh, it, enormous. And so, um, you know, the, if the whole yeah, the design, harder, the more if the whole design it? principle is uh, that it can that it can have the features of something that is um, rigid without actually being rigid, you know, and I think that's what, it, that's probably why they're using it. Mm -hmm. But once again, you know, I, I don't know exactly, but that, that seems to be the case. I, and I can see to, how, it, how yeah. it would work. Yeah, yeah and I mean, I, I don't particularly, uh, this was just, you know, a new seed. So a lot of times what we end up doing is sort of just reading the headlines yeah. and expounding on it a little bit. And I just thought it was cool that there's this like new approach to making stuff that um, it's a, something that they've had since the 60s that they're only now implementing on a, on a bridge scale and it looked cool and yeah. it was the first introduction of that concept to me so well you know what's funny is uh why i was looking up to tensegrity mm -hmm. is because there was someone who was um attempting to uh explicate features of a uh 
quantum medium, so you know ether, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and they were they were saying that it was ten segros. So um, interesting. Yeah. Do you agree with it? I don't see how or why it would. I mean, why would you I, use that term? If right. It it, it seemed uh, seemed weird to me. And uh, I'm not sure exactly how the the tensegris part would even fit in. You know what would be, uh, and, you know, in, in so much as I know about ether, the answer is no. Um, so yeah. yeah, it seems like it's like there's the compressed parts and then there's the tension parts. So that's like that already is more parts than like there's this weird division between labor division. This part does that. This part does this. But it's not exactly how actually ether works. Oh, right? shit, actually. Oh, actually, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, that that's right. Now I remember what I was thinking. Okay, so one of the first ex uh, explanations for how um, ether could really work and uh, and shown in a, okay, so you know ether really gets kicks off with uh, Fresnel mm -hmm. and he and he gives us all the information about um, is Fresnel's coefficient related to ether or is that uh, oh yeah it's thing? coefficient of ether drag is the uh, is that the same thing as the the change factor it's closely related um, it's uh, I know all about the change factor now man it's, I, it's I could give a lecture about the change factor yeah. <laughs> it's more closely related to uh, the velocity addition formula, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the the point is that it starts with Fresnel, and then um, then McCullough comes up with a uh, a type of ether that is rotationally elastic, and so understanding what the hell rotationally elastic even freaking means uh, was difficult in the nineteenth uh, century, right? So yeah. 18 in the 1800s mm -hmm. and it um and it wasn't until um oh crap what's his name uh lord kelvin mm -hmm. uh published one paper in uh i think it was 1889 so this is two years after the michelson morley experiment mm -hmm. Uh, and it's a paper that a lot of, not a lot of people know about. I actually made it popular again, so uh, such that I saw it in Wikipedia. Somebody, uh, I know, because nobody had ever brought up this. This was just a, a search, a history search by me that found this one paper where he explained how uh, McCullough's ether could be physical. And uh, and so it was this, and, and uh, you know, um, you might have heard me talking McCullough? about. Yeah. That's the name of the wood room. I know, isn't that funny? Yeah, it is funny. Uh, but so McCullough's ether, they they complained about it being non uh, non physical at that time because they did they actually were scientists and wanted things to work instead of just believing in them. And uh, but and eventually they were so materialistic with their Cartesian oh, anxiety. I know, tough. right? And they should just believe. Uh, but all anyway. women, I mean, all scientists. <laughs> so. So there was complaints about that, and then eventually people accepted that McCullough's uh, model was, um, you know, valuable, mm -hmm. and and for the most part, they, they were able to see how it was true and, and accurate and, and helped um, in a variety of ways. I mean, eventually McCullough's ether uh, leads to the Cosserat um, mm -hmm. brothers in, in 1909, and most people don't know um, 
how that all works. But anyway, the the point is is that there's something called the on the um, uh, hydrodynamic. Or is it no? Let's see, what was this paper's name? Now I'm not remembering. It's not coming to mind. Uh, the um, Hydrostatic adynamic constitution of ether was the name of, of Kelvin's paper. And so a hydrostat is this special thing where basically what he ended up doing was modeling these rotating, um, well, they're called hydrostats, but they're kind of like, like pillars, like, I, I don't know. You, the point I'm getting hydrostat, at here, like hydrostatic? Yeah, like water static. It's but it ends up being more like uh, gyroscopes. But uh, it's this is this is difficult to to really explain in any short form. Mm -hmm. So I'm just gonna kind of leave it sort of vague. That's cool. And uh, and basically imagine a cube uh, that is connected at all um, eight corners um, at, by uh, there's there's some sort of um, way for it to be just kind of on a pin or whatever, and then the rods that connect to this cube. So there's rod, so all those, all the, um, between the corners of the cube, there's the rods, and those rods can spin. Okay, so think of them as like capable of spinning. So that is, that was um, a method by which uh, Kelvin was explaining how um, rotational elasticity. Could be a physical con and workable concept, and I've seen these uh, models before that have to do with gyroscopes, and uh, and so it's kind of a gyroscopic action, and that's how the um, how a ro rotational elasticity works. But then the thing is, um, when you if you were to have a cube made of these, you know, with these these kind of points and and you know the rotors between them, like how does how is it held together? and what keeps it in the cube shape? These are all interesting questions. And so that kind of goes along with the way that tensegra's structures work, because you can sit there and have, uh, like you were showing the, the, like the three different mm -hmm. points, and then you have rods between them. And so that's why it was interesting to me, because it's, um, you know, there's some possibility that what he was saying about tensegrity being uh, about, um, uh, part of how ether works that could actually be accurate because at the at the very lowest level and we're talking about the fucking Planck scale and the <laughs> Planck scale is, is just god awfully crazy fucking tiny mm -hmm. uh, it's like you, you know you think of crazy tiny you know as like a, a, a you know atomic size that's nothing Planck scale is like like you know as as big as we are compared to atoms, it's like Planck scale is, is that much below the atomic size. It's, that's not accurate, but I'm just trying to give right. a uh, you know a uh, an example of how crazy fucking small Planck scale is. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, if you're going to explain how it works, you know how how ether works at a uh, the you know then you need to kind of get down to that level. And, that, and we're actually kind of talking about things that are sub Planck structures. So. Um, Anyway, uh, so so yeah, I could see how there would be some way in which uh, tensegrity might be uh, applicable, and how and, and unfortunately I don't know enough about uh, micropolar elasticity, um, which is eventually where uh, Kelvin's Kel Kelvin's work eventually became micropolar elasticity through the Kasserat brothers.
and that has to do with there, there was there was all these problems with with elasticity that actually uh, yeah, there was they ended up figuring out that even Maxwell's equations had some level of uh, non physicality to the um, to the way by which it was um, the elasticity was occurring and so 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 it, it too was problematic so he was uh, Kelvin was killing two birds with one stone there mm -hmm. and and that's why uh, Maxwell's equations that ended up still maintaining the same level of um, not just value, but uh, level of prestige, I guess, or respectability, or you know, in other words, as because because science, you, you if you couldn't have something be just magical like you can now, right. where you just believe it, it had to have a physical. Yeah, you'd be locked out of the room otherwise. Right now, you had you can you could not have a wave without a fucking medium right. uh, in, in the in the 1900s having or. Um, 1800s, yeah. uh, 19th century, 1800s, uh, having a wave without a medium, they, they think that you're a complete imbecile. And mm -hmm. it's just like, you know, how could you, what do you how even say? How could you miss such a basic? How, not just miss it. How, how could you even think for one second that something so irrational, why would you even say these things to us? What's wrong with you? Are you mentally handicapped? And, uh, and, and, I, and I today have the exact same feeling about people whenever they, they talk about waves without a medium. Are you mentally handicapped? I still get that feeling uh, because it's just like, so you're just believing, you know, it's just, it, it's absurd. But anyway, uh, so yeah, t the 10 second thing might actually be applicable, but it's, uh, I just haven't seen enough of it. Yeah, joke's on me. The, uh, the, the, all the Australians are going to laugh. The bridge opened in 2009. So yeah. it's like 10 years old now. <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, look thing. at these news, guys. <laughs> hey, there's lag between Australia and the U.S., okay? Yeah. <laughs> side of the planet, for fuck's sake. I mean, come on. <laughs> Ten-year lag, right? <laughs> All right, so another fun thing, um, maybe slightly less fun um, as some of the other things, but it's still kind of neat for those that may like to use Rome or, you know, there's like a subculture on the internet, like the, the Deus Vault peoples and like, there's, I know, I know it's memes and jokes, but they're like, you know, they talk about, um, you know, only the glory of Rome is forever and, you know, like silly <laughs> Templar things like that. I mean, obviously it's memes and jokes, but I still think it's, uh, it's interesting because, uh, at the bottom of every meme, uh, there is a grain of truth right and i believe that people um i actually do believe that people uh, especially those who have a difficult time communicating uh due to social anxiety and other stuff so maybe those on the spectrum a little bit more um and uh, in general people who have a difficult time socializing for whatever reason not just because they're on spectrum maybe they just had a shitty childhood who knows um but uh they communicate in memes to each other <laughs> and and i think there is actually some value to um it's kind of like a collage where uh people are it's a psychological thing where whenever you've been through trauma or you have to process something one of the useful methods of doing that is to actually make a collage and to it is a therapy uh, kind of like painting therapy but it also uh, is one of the reasons for instance speaking of painting there's a uh, the reason why when a young child draws something disturbing like you know uh, 
arms raised in a V and the dead lay in the pools of maroon below. <laughs> so <laughs> when your children draw that in a school, the parents will be called in and be like, hey, they're drawing disturbing things. Because a lot of times this process of art, of externalizing what is inside of you on paper can help you process and it also reveals uh, potentially inner trauma or something that a person is thinking about or something that's bothering them. So I tend to look at memes oftentimes these days as these collages as potentially hiding or holding in them a grain of truth about what that person is going through. And so I kind of like to pay attention to the memes that people share in order to just kind of gauge where they're at emotionally, what they might need, where they might be struggling. Uh, so one of the memes about Rome is, uh, I've seen those types of things. And uh, so because of that, I'd like to present some information about Rome that people may not have known um, in the past, uh, or these specific people don't know about. And I didn't even know about it. I think a lot of us didn't know about it until archeologists, um, let's see when, um, in November 27th, 2019. So this is news, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh no, why? Oh God. What? I looked over to the right. Most red in the world. Newborn baby left for dead after being dumped and drained full of red ants. Why? Why is this there? Go, why? <laughs> this is awful. I don't want to see this. There's an image and everything for love of God. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> I am the TV that tragedy fuels me much. Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm gonna um, enlarge this image so that uh, others don't see what I just subjected myself to. Because this is uh, fucking disturbing. I don't want to see this today, right now. Fuck's sake. Okay. Archaeology shock. So that was a shock, not the archaeology. <laughs> most red in the world? Why? Why is that most red in the world? What is happening? Okay. Scientists have discovered a hitherto fact. What's hitherto fact? Hitherto unknown is what they meant to say. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that ancient Rome was in fact a melting pot of different cultures and ethnicities that has proved to be an unprecedented archaeological DNA in what has proved to be an unprecedented archaeological DNA excavation study. So I guess the idea is that most most of the time we thought that, oh yeah, Rome had the Romans and then they had their slaves in other places, but Rome was like pure and such. But a new collection of DNA samples from ancient Romans dating as far back as 12,000 years has revealed how the population was more diverse than previously understood. The study not only revealed a multicultural picture of what was thought to be a relative monoculture, but it also made it clear why ancient Rome's political discourse might have changed so drastically over time with, with its society simultaneously shifting with its politics. The analysis found that ancient Romans were from all around Europe, the Near East and Northern Africa, rather than just an isolated enclave of Rome and its surrounding areas. Jonathan Pritchard, co-author of the study, and I mean that's that was known. It must be the the prominence of those people, right? It must be that, how many of them, because right? It's they, like, we knew there were slaves from the outskirts. So. Yeah, we knew. Well, not just slaves, but also people uh, from those, you know, from those different areas all, all around the Mediterranean. But I, I also had the impression that Rome was like where the Romans were, and like very few other yes. people oh yeah definitely there. kind of a monoculture, monoculture for sure yeah. and that and you would think that it was like uh just 
that they, they were very much minority, whereas mm -hmm. it seems like yes. what they're saying is that genetically, it may, the, the minorities might not have been so small. Right. Um, it doesn't match how most people think about ancient cities. Uh, he explained that it wasn't until around 3,000 years ago that the inhabitants of Rome started to genetically resemble modern residents of today. So between 12,000 to 3,000, they were very different genetically, and only in the past 3,000 years, they started to be more like the modern-day Romans. Studies up until this point have focused on mapping DNA of ancient Europeans from hunter-gatherer populations who roamed the Earth 11,000 to 12,000 years ago. Thus, he said to himself that his team were drawn to explore the genetic profiles of more recent peoples, such as those from the Roman Empire. Uh, all in all, the team collected DNA remains from 127 individuals from 29 separate archaeological sites in and around Rome, the oldest dating back to 10,000 years ago. After crushing a small portion of each sample, the team extracted and sequenced the DNA. They then put the genomes in chronological order to map out how the population of Rome changed over time. The earliest samples collected from the region showed local hunter-gatherers resembled other, more Western Europeans. Scientists then discovered the first demographic shift to have occurred around 7,000 years ago as farming began and humans of Iranian ancestry began mixing with the population. Following the Ice Age, more humans from Eastern European steppe region uh, started appearing in and around Rome. Both of these population uh, trends are similar to what happened in Europe on a much wider scale, explained the professor. As Rome expanded and the Iron Age began, the scientists' data showed that different humans of different ancestries from around the region started to assimilate and live together. This particular shift in societal cohesion makes sense, as better transportation is a result of improved tools and logistics made for more efficient means of travel, such as sailing around the Mediterranean becoming more common. The study showed that 1700 years ago, the Roman Empire entered a state of gradual dissolution. The Roman Empire split in two, with the capital being moved to Constantinople, modern-day Istanbul. <laughs> the divide uh, coincided with a change in the inhabitants, Rome's, uh, inhabitants of Rome's trading habits. New trade routes seem to have brought about a fresh influx of ancestry into the region. Professor said that people aren't just trading with the north and the west, but their population is being replaced by new people coming from these places. So they weren't trading in just goods, they were trading in people. Interesting. Maybe so literally. The, or and, and what date was this? About well, there's uh, a couple of changes. Yeah, but I'm talking about the ma the major change that they're just. Whenever talking. it split into two, with moving to Constantinople and. What what era was that? In other words, what what? Uh, seventeen hundred years ago. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Okay, continue forward. That's it. So, so around that point, that was when it split, mm -hmm. and it was, uh, and that's when the the genetic diversity rose sharply. Um, the genetic diversity, no, 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 it's the other way. I, I think the other way around. No, no, I think it, it's that they were the genetic diversity. They're saying it was only seven thousand uh, until three thousand years ago that the inhabitants started resembling modern day Romans. Right. So by three, it seems like by three thousand years ago they already became monogenetic, but before yeah. that they weren't. So no, no, I think it's the you're, you're saying it, you're, it's the other way around. The I think it was all local people uh, until well, they started trading, and then the trade routes. Uh, it, it, I mean, it, they kept going up and up and up until the trade routes came in, and then you had a massive rise in genetic diversity, 
and that's when the the you know the, the capital moved and there were there were more people of different kinds well the first demographic shift occurred seven thousand years ago yeah as farming began yeah and iranians moved in okay so that's when they first start getting any fresh genetics yes. at all um theoretically yes right that makes sense that's the rest of europe had that same thing happen right um uh, following the ice age more humans came in yep so they and then they, when the iron age more. began was the most the scientists data showed that different humans of different ancestries began to assimilate and live together during the iron age so there was diversity that then started collapsing into non-diversity it seems like right because eventually you take a, a diverse genetic and then group and then if they, if they breed for a long period of time they're no longer diverse uh, but the, with the uh, by uh, studies show that 1700 years ago the Roman Empire entered a state of gradual dissolution. It split into two. Divide coincided with the change in the trading habits. Yeah, and the trading the change in trading habits also changed the genetic diversity. It doesn't so, say anything about that because it seems you said like they were trading the people. What, what the, that's what you just said earlier. That's what the guy said. People aren't just trading with the north and the west, but with their population being replaced by new people coming in from these places. Right. So that's then that was. But then that co the contradicts. The no, it doesn't thing. because they're going to change. The changes aren't one direction or the other. What happens is first you start getting a little bit of genes in of different people because you've been just one population that's never moved from that spot because there's no people right. don't even domesticate freaking horses and and so you get zero genetic diversity. Then that genetic diversity goes up slightly because people start moving around, right. and then the not just and the and the genetic diversity is individuals who are not interbreeding but are from different places. Then they get they are with each other for a long enough period of time that they interbreed. Once they interbreed, then there then there there are that area's people. They're mm -hmm. just they, they just happen to be have ancestry from different places, but they can all be the same people because it doesn't miss. Once you start having a city, then the population is growing very quickly. Then what you have is a whole lot of interbreeding because there's a whole lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so there, and then it kind of becomes a singular genetic set, but then there's still, it's, it, it is because it's mixed with all these people. That is now the, the set that you're considering mm -hmm. is this, this group that is mixed in this particular way. And then you have people come in who are completely from, the, you know, the north or completely mm -hmm. from the east or completely from Africa. And they're the, these people that they have, you have a sudden influx of not people who are interbred so that the DNA itself is, is genetically diverse, but the set of DNA, the each individual, instead of each individual being genetically diverse, the, num the various individuals are of, you know, radically different genetic, you know, heritage. And so, in other words, in, in there, so there's different types of, there's individual diversity, in other words, an individual's ancestry, whether that is diverse, or whether or not the individuals being considered are from different places. And I think that that's, that's what's confusing here, is what mm -hmm. it sounds like to me. Right. And so, and, and, but it's, but it's not, uh, I don't think it should be confusing, I think it's obvious that what they're saying is then, uh, once they had all these trade routes, and, and trade really, really picked up, the 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 um the empire dissolved and part of it was the there was a change there was so many different cultures and things like that so it's what sorry i just this this source 
Jesus did not die on the crucifix, but fled to Japan where he lived. Latest. Don't miss it. What? That's the link right up there. What the hell? And then archaeology shock. Teens discovered 15-year-old church that redefines updates. Archaeologist was overwhelmed by Mayan hidden accounts. What this the... place. But, you know, good point from chat, um, from Agritas, that um, that why, why don't people know more about Rome being a, um, a melting pot? Because, you know, we have that old adage that all roads lead to Rome. Yeah, exactly. But, I, but that doesn't mean that people went to Rome. Because, I mean, I also have this impression where it's like Rome was where the Republic was, or all the fucking Heracles and the Aristotles and the Socrates and all of them learned Roman people, and they all held an occupied Rome, and then all the plebes were fucking elsewhere. That Rome was this pure, perfect state of pure Romanness, mm. and uh, that sure it had all those people that took over on the outskirts. Okay, so basically you were looking at a shitty source then. Uh, that, oh, it's, not it's, shitty, it's not a shitty source in the sense that I mean that they are quoting a specific study. That's uh, uh, Professor Pritchard who did he collected 127 um, uh, skeletons from 29 regions oh, in rome so i mean yeah it's it's, it's actual real yeah, well, study that they're reporting on they just happen to report on all sorts of other things too yeah well who knows yeah if this guy might might have been a very biased individual because uh because uh, what it was sounding like to me that he was trying to uphold a particular picture i mean yeah i don't know if it's accurate or not i don't want to because i don't know i don't want to like comment on it but it does support a anti-multicultural view uh it, it, what the what the wind up in the pitch of how that article was sort of um structured was to come through as that and then a bunch of uh, you had a bunch of multiculturalism and, and genetic diversity and it destroyed the roman empire that's what i was getting from it and i, and I wasn't saying anything about it because i didn't want to you change know, the perception right. right exactly i just wanted to but yeah so i i don't know that he's good. well that explains my confusion about him. like what are you saying and then, i mean it, it may be accurate but i, I don't I, I don't know uh there's it's just that also it certainly could have an agenda and uh that's that's what i'm detecting is that it could very much have an agenda that they're attempting to point out something in particular that they went looking for to try to to try to prove from the get-go, and that's what happens so many times. Yeah. People want to prove a certain point, go out to try to find the evidence for that, and of course, whatever you seek out to prove, you can prove. Um, you, when you, that's why science is more about falsification than mm -hmm. actually proving things, because you can prove anything. It's it's the falsification that really is, is important. Yeah, I was a little thrown off by the, the small amount of 127 individuals, but 29 different regions. And if you if you find great diversity in only 125 well, people... Well, you're then, hoping you know, that, that they're using data from not just their own collection, but right. in this specific instance, that's the kind if that they were trying if they had an agenda they would only be using their own data because they want their data set to match they don't know that they want their, their but yeah i mean they can only trust their own data because nobody else's data would uh match what they want i mean match reality so it's you know there there is certainly something that that, that i was getting a certain feel from it mm -hmm. that, that, and it's weird that they would say monoculture 
uh, and then say that it wasn't a monoculture where it's like, but it kind of was because when in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? <laughs> There's that aspect of like, at least maybe that's why we have this impression because they were unified in their culture. Mm -hmm. We don't know, but, but I mean, here's the thing. Matter, you know? Here's the thing, multiculturalism has positives and negatives oh, and it, there, there certainly is when, when- Hybrid vigor is a real thing, but so is everybody not getting along and- Yeah. yeah. Because they don't understand each other. And so the people who try to pose it as completely positive or completely negative are both wrong. Or missing uh, nuance. But, yeah. but uh, so I don't know. This could be accurate as well. They could have, have an axe to grind and be making it look a certain way. And it could also be accurate. It could mm -hmm. literally be both. Uh, so. <laughs> well, we're just going to leave express.co.uk with a grain of salt and move on to the Smithsonian because that's much better. <laughs> I mean, actually, I'm not being sarcastic. It is actually better. Um, at least the way I, I, I trust the Smithsonian, even though um, there are certain assumptions that archaeology, etc., has that you know you can't. See, I told you I was channeling him. Sorry, we had a cat moment. The meows are being extra meowy right now, and also he's going to destroy that. So, hey, that's a photo shoot. Oh my god. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> So I was right to try to squirrel this away from him because he already destroyed a piece of wax paper. No. <laughs> I don't need him destroying my prop curtains. <laughs> all right. Um, so yeah, there are certain assumptions about archaeology that all archaeologists agree with, even though geologists disagree with them. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's only so much you can ask of the Smithsonian at a certain point. Yeah, there's but, only so much you can ask right. of, of any group's knowledge because uh, that group's knowledge is going to be tainted by orthodoxy. And, <laughs> so thing is, though, this is really cool. And we uh, briefly talked about this as a fact of the day. <laughs> Tip, tip menu when Beth was there, she's like, I'm looking it up and it's awesome. <laughs> so here it is. There's an image of a mummy with a freaking neck tattoo, like a gangster. <laughs> Check that shit out. Well, uh, infrared reveals Egyptian mummies hidden tattoos. Awesome. Yeah, the mummies of seven women. <coughs> gangster bitches. <laughs> seven women found at Egypt's Deir El Medina site. Bear tattoos, including crosses, baboons, and hieroglyphics. Awesome. What did the hieroglyphics say? I don't know. Let's find out. Gangsta bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably what it said. Um, let's see. More than 30 tattoos are scattered across this female mummy's skin. The one they image that we saw of? That was just one of them. Or three. <laughs> yeah, once you, once you go to the neck, you've usually uh, exhausted some other All areas. the others. You usually don't start at the neck. <laughs> That's not the first place you're gonna touch. Usually, no. That's the last resort. <laughs> it's like you've already <laughs> used up. You've already used up a lot of space, and so you know. Um, so the ancient Egyptians were known for decorating nearly every available surface, from the walls of temples to the interiors of tombs and every square inch of statues and furniture. But recent scholarship suggests the Egyptians' penchant for adoration didn't end there, as Bruce Bauer reports for Science News. Infrared images of seven 3,000-year-old mummies have revealed an array of hidden tattoos scattered across the ancient's bodies. Archaeologist Anne Austin of the University of Missouri presented research on the tattooed mummies at the annual conference of the American Schools of Oriental Research. So see, it's okay to say the word oriental. It's like literally a fucking yeah, it's vocabulary word. The, our, our, the Orient is a place. Yeah, well, I, also, our, our Asian store down the street is called Oriental Market. 
I don't think they mind. <laughs> I think that's just well, what it's called. Well, sometimes there's well, just no fucking reason to be offended by a, a label that is that has nothing associated with it. I that's what we call that. There's digit. nothing bad associated with Oriental. Why no. the fuck did people decide that that's some, somehow bad? I, I don't, don't know. know. That's literally the word we use for it in Russia. I didn't have any other word for the East Asian, South Asian, like that whole chunk of area. I mean, maybe there was just like one real, real dickhead who like said Oriental with like a, oh, with no, like no, a no. real, I'm like, sorry. with like a twang to Mongoloid it. Mongoloid is an actual insult. Now that I have a fucking problem with. Yeah, I could see how that And is. some people I've known have used it. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> excuse me, don't fucking, don't you dare use that, <laughs> asshole. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the hell, but uh, I always have this like, oh, pop, what? Is someone gonna fuck me over? Because I said Orient? Whoa. <laughs> you know, but yeah. that's literally the word. Well, if they, there's always gonna be some asshole who could say anything. You could right. say, you know, like, like, okay, hippie has now become like kind of a. Boomer. Yeah, well, yeah, boomer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, you could say, but that was that's a it's its own term. Yeah, it's, yeah. I'm talking about like something that was just fine and great mm -hmm. until somebody started saying it with a yeah yeah and you know kind yeah, of yeah hippie voice to it that, that eventually people took offense to, and then now then suddenly the term itself becomes uh, like uh, somehow theoretically bad, but a lot of people don't think it's bad, and th there's all this fucking confusion. So annoying. It's like no, it's let's look at intentions instead of letter of the law. Let's stop. Let's stop doing the whole acting like we can't tell people's intentions. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Austin and her colleagues found the tattoos on mummified remains. Um. The still unidentified individuals were probably artisans and craft workers who helped construct and decorate the elaborate tombs found in the nearby Valley of the Kings and Valley of the Queens. They they think. That's what they were. Uh, according, I mean, it makes sense. A bunch of artists, women would have tattoos. Yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it totally makes sense. So we know those people. <laughs> yeah, this is, these are people. Yeah. They're just, just from a while back. People have not changed that much. Nope. You go, but you go back freaking 10,000 years, humans are exactly freaking same. Like, there's just been so little change. Yeah. According to the paper's abstract, tattooing in ancient Egypt remains poorly understood. The civilization left very little record of the practice, and prior to the Deir el-Medina finds, researchers had only identified six other Egyptian mummies with tattoos. So this isn't super new, but hmm. they probably thought it was like super isolated incident. Yeah. Um, so it was uh, uh, niche information that didn't necessarily need to be shared yeah i wonder if it's a uh um like some sort of club or uh, you, hmm. you know like a society uh you know the in the bloods <laughs> it's a gang <laughs> no that I kind mean, of society <laughs> no i mean like uh i don't know it, it seems like they're uh something that they're passing along that some some small group of people who you know who are known to each other type of thing They first noticed the markings on the neck of a headless, armless torso and initially thought they were painted on. Uh, upon closer examination, she realized the designs were actually tattoos. Using infrared light to better examine the mummy, she eventually found 30 individual tattoos, many of them invisible to the naked eye, due to resins used in mummification. 
So that's the thing. If we start taking infrared light to all the mummies, might find some more. <laughs> Maybe all of them are tattoos. Maybe all all Egyptians are getting tattoos. Anybody who would be mummified. The tattoo significance is still up for debate. All of the tattoos have been in this region have been found on women. Interesting. They might have been sex slaves. <laughs> I know that's that's why my brain went there. That's probably not at all what was happening. But <laughs> this is trend of the variety. <laughs> that's my personal kink coming up. <laughs> this trend and the variety of markings found suggests the body art may be associated with women's roles as healers and priestesses, not simply fertility and sexuality as previously theorized. Yeah, so that's oh, what I figured. It's thing. like a pre. It's some order of priestesses. Mm -hmm. That's that that. That tracks. Yeah. The original tattooed women, as said by Austin, have cross patterns. Uh, original woman has cross patterns on her arms and hieroglyphic-like elements elsewhere. Most of the marks on her body do not appear on other individuals, leading Austin to suspect she played a significant religious role in ancient Egyptian society. Well, the onk is basically a cross, so I don't, you know, whatever. Yeah. Crosses, onks, whatever. No big difference, probably. According to Bauer, um, another Dear Al Medina mummy has tattoos of a human eye, a sign of protection still in use today, the Hamza, the, the mm. hand with the eye on it. Me. Uh, and a sealed baboon, seated baboon on either side of her neck. wonder what significance baboons have. They're kind of assholes <laughs> to their young, but who knows what, what their spirit represented to people. The archaeologists say she can find no discernible pattern in the tattoos found to date. In 2018, a separate group of researchers found the world's oldest figurative tattoos on a 5,000-year-old, in other words, pre-pharaoh, Egyptian mummies. As CNN's Nell Lewis reported at the time, infrared scans reveal the image of a doll and Barbary of a bull and Barbary sheep on the shoulder of an 18 to 21-year-old male who was killed by a stab in the back. Oh, he was a farmer. Hmm. He has a bull and a sheep. Yeah. And he got stabbed in the back. Fucking Abel. <laughs> a series of S shapes was found on the upper shoulder of the female mummy. A series of S shapes. Okay. Both individuals have been housed in the British Museum's mummy collection for more than 100 years by the time the tattoos were finally discovered. Daniel Antoine, one of the project's lead researchers, told Lewis that the process of tattooing in ancient Egypt was similar in methods used today with an artisan tapping a needle dipped in suit into recipient skin. Although many of the tattoos found are now degraded or darkened, Antoine said they were probably once impressive. The Egyptians were very fine craftsmen, so I'm sure they would have been very good at tattooing. Prior to the 2018 find, Otzi the Iceman, who died in the Alps around 3250 BC, held the title of the world's oldest tattooed individual. His markings were geometrical rather than figurative. Oh, damn. Scholars say the practice of tattooing likely extends much further back than either the Iceman or the Egyptian mummies. Still finding a well-preserved human cannabis older than these specimens will require more than a healthy dose of luck. So, hmm. 3250. Motherfucker had some geometry on him. Yeah, I don't know if geometry is what I'd call it. It's more like... What's geometry? Just lines? <laughs> just lines, yeah. That's what I'm seeing here. Just lines. 
So I guess the, what they meant by geometrical and figurative, they meant it wasn't symbolic. Right. Unlike the Egyptians. Yeah. I mean, maybe it was symbolic for how many he killed or something. <laughs> like Hesiod said, beware a woman who decorates her buttocks because she's up to your greater. It's true. <laughs> well. Listen to Hesiod. <laughs> oh, man. Some people uh, uh, comment from chat, uh, from uh, Charles, that uh, patron chat, I guess. Some people claim Otzi's marks look like a simplified acupuncture map. Huh. Otzi is the... Uh, uh, the Iceman. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it because it's an umlaut yeah. over the O, so I don't know so the fuck knows. how that is pronounced. <laughs> I know for a fact that Jake Yellenhalle, that's how that's pronounced. Yellenhalle. Yellenhalle. Yeah, the J is not a J. <laughs> Just like a fjord doesn't have a J in it. Neither does Yellenhalle. The Fjords. <laughs> the Jill and Holland Fjords. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's a thing. Um, acupuncture school. I went to acupuncture school um, as a concept and as a practice. Uh, I actually um, had hand acupuncture done to help with my, like, I don't know, kidneys or whatever the fuck, uh, or liver <laughs> or my, my head or all the things. Either way, I would be sitting there and she'd be tapping the little needles into my hand, no pain whatsoever. Uh, and then I'd be like, yeah, this is boring. What is happening? And I fell asleep and now it's 30 minutes later and I've woken up. What the fuck? Every time. <laughs> like, it would just put me to sleep after she was done or she was finishing and, and then I would wake up later well, i ran into some study where they, they where there was an increased uh, release of oxytocin from it so I mean, that would have all kinds of effects yeah i needed that i needed more of that acupuncture when i was a kid good lord <laughs> also so, explains why uh things were not so good when i moved to america because i wasn't getting yeah there's so much shit that's downstream of oxytocin in the same way like, oh my god the stuff because it was it was anton's mom it was like it was the inner sanctum inner community so it was there like i go. felt held and loved yeah you know and it may entirely be that too mm -hmm. who knows they, it could be simple touch exactly Hello. it's just simply yes. they had somebody some uh, a person that you don't necessarily know that well spending a lot of caring time or somebody over you do you. know really well and, and that would, yeah. Or, yeah As in, like, you know them because they're a member of your community, but you've not in, engaged in Someone, physical contact with them, but you do know them. Spending careful time over you, that seems like it would increase oxytocin. Careful time yeah. over, well, on, it and, was over and my hand in this case. And but... then oxytocin has a huge impact on health. And people, that's the one thing people have just not spent enough time looking at the, mm -hmm. the cascades downstream of oxytocin. That's, God damn. That's why they have touch therapy for AIDS yeah. patients. That's why they bring uh, dogs in for cancer kids. Oh, that's why there's that's such a huge <laughs> change to, like, uh, premature babies. Yeah, like, oh my God, yes. Stuff. They actually, just gigantic fucking you they, know, differences. They have, yeah, they bring parents in to touch the baby when they're preemies yeah, yeah. and uh, they, they put their hands through the little incubator and, and give them touch so so that's so far and that, so there may actually be no effect from the needles who knows well the but acupuncture <laughs> the asian style um i did the hand one but the asian style is your entire body so yeah. I mean, this is somebody taking close time without judgment over your whole body you know? yes right so, well what i'm saying is the needles themselves may not be the cause the cause right. may be the the, the the interaction with the human and of course the the placebo of not only you believing that you're getting you're going there to fix a particular ailment 
but the expert believing they're there fixing that particular element for you. Well, placebo is so, <laughs> a real fucking effect. It's yep. me measurable, uh, positive impact. Placebo plus um, oxytocin can do wonders. So, speaking of placebo and oxytocin... Oxytocin is fucking powerful. Period. I'm going to say that again. Goddamn. The pill might shrink certain brain regions among women taking it. Speaking of oxytocin... Whoa. A brain region called the hypothalamus. Like, we don't fucking know what that is. <laughs> That's Shrinks cute. the hypothalamus? That's cute, you guys. Life science. Come on, you can do better than that. Come on. Um, a brain region called the hypothalamus. Oh, what? No. No. Why is the page crashing? Oh, I'm duplicated. Oh, because they want me to join their newsletter? That's fine, whatever. Um... A brain region called the hypothalamus is smaller among women who use birth control pills compared to non-users, a new study finds. Is hypothalamus really? the, the four Fs, or is that the thalamus? Um, I think it's the four Fs. They'll, they'll probably tell us. But, yeah. um, birth control pills may slightly alter the structure of women's brains according to a new study. The study found that women taking the pill, uh, or as it's known, uh, an oral contraceptive, and what the pill is, for those unfamiliar, it is a uh, usually just estrogen. And there's various ways of getting birth control, um, but most of the time it's hormonal. Uh, there's only one single case in birth control, aside from condoms, uh, that is an, or a, a female condom. Um, there's only one uh, long-term form of birth control that exists um, that isn't hormonal and that is an IUD, it's an interuterine device and it is made out of copper and so what happens in that case is the charge of introducing copper to that environment um, doesn't allow for an inseminated egg to attach to the wall of the uterus and that's how pregnancy begins. Yeah. It's not enough to have an egg be inseminated with a sperm, it also has to lodge itself onto the uterine wall in order to begin growing and get blood supply and create the amniotic sac and all of that stuff. Um, and so uh, copper provides a particular um, charge environment to where that bonding with the wall of the uterus never happens. So that is one single, aside from condoms, way for women to have birth control that is long-term, well, yeah, long-term birth control, because condoms are one-time use. Um, and it's a copper IUD. Everything else, uh, there's a inter, it's also, a, they're called the IED. Uh, it's a inter, or I, no. <laughs> what, what is the one where they put, is also an IUD that they put under their skin? No. No, no. it's something else. Yeah, I forget what they're called. Inter something device. <laughs> Not an IED. <laughs> You sure? You sure they don't plant a bomb <laughs> under their skin? I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, they have the uh, the five and ten year uh, skin implants that release hormones, estrogen. It's always estrogen, and then they have uh, rings to put over the cervix that have estrogen, and then the pill, which is a daily pill that you take uh, at a exact time. And then when you stop taking it, that's when you get your period. So that's one of the ways in which when women aren't even interested in having sex uh, birth control wise, that way they still will take a pill in order to regulate their hormones. So women who are not sexually active will still take the pill 
in order to regulate their hormonal cycle because that's how it works. You're providing a, a flow of estrogen into the system and when you, and there's a seven uh, pills, seven pills at the end of the packet because you get a 30-day packet. And at the end of the packet, there are seven pills that are a different color and they're just sugar pills. And I guess you're supposed to take them. I never did. <laughs> so basically just stop at the last pig pill and, and then start taking one, you know, next month after the seven days. So all the time, every time it's estrogen. And uh, if you guys remember those commercials from a while back about uh, consult your doctor uh, to find the dose that's right for you, that's a, really a thing. Women uh, do have to go between doctors to find the right level of estrogen because they, not everybody responds to the same level of estrogen the right way. And that's why women have things like weight gain, breakouts, mood issues, because the amount of estrogen that they're being given is wildly inappropriate to what their body needs. So that's how the pill works. Um, and you have to take it every day for 23, 24 days. Um, and yeah, if you get pregnant, you explode. This is true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, it'd be a very effective method of birth control. Right? Not because it would stop them from getting pregnant, but because they would keep the pregnancy from going to term. Exactly. Very effective. Right. Uh, so they're saying that the birth control may slightly alter. So let's see. So women taking the pill had a smaller hypothalamus than women not taking the pill. Hypothalamus is a pea-sized structure deep inside the brain that helps regulate involuntary functions such as appetite, body temperature, and emotions. So weight gain, breakouts, and mood issues. Yeah, that's exactly what I just outlined a minute ago. <laughs> There's also the HPA axis, which is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal Right, uh, it also connection. serves as a link between the nervous system and endocrine system, a network of glands that produce hormones. So your total like fear response, your underlying natural fear response, things like that. Your are, bonding response, oxytocin. Yeah, yeah, your bonding response, your all of those response. things, those, all those things that are subconscious. Yeah, what else are hormones? <laughs> yeah, are, are, yeah, so yeah, and it's and it's altering that area. Great. Yeah. It's just fucking great. Just like altering people's personality at a really deep fucking level. That, yeah. That's good. About 150 million women use oral contraceptives worldwide, according to a 2019 report. Despite their widespread use, researchers looking at how oral contraceptives, a research looking at how oral contraceptives affect the brain, of course, is sparse. <laughs> it's a pretty understudied area, said Dr. Michael Lipton, professor of radiology at Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York, who led the recent research. The new study, which will be presented today, December 4th, is when the article is written. So this is a five-day-old study, presented anyway, five days ago, at the annual meeting of the Radiological Society of North America. Uh, that's a strange society to present it to. It's the first uh, to look at the pills of fat from the hypothalamus. To gauge the structure's volume, the researchers used MRI scans of 50 women 21 of whom were taking a combination pill, a common uh, birth control. Oh, that's right. Um, yes, I, I misspoke earlier. Estrogen is always the root ingredient in birth control pills. Uh, but I apparently didn't know that uh, combination pills exist. Because, uh, you know, the, I did research on uh, 
birth control pills like a really long time ago and never went into combination pills, which have estrogen and progestin. So yeah, I thought it was like estrogen and progesterone. That that um but i only knew about the just the estrogen pills though yeah no matter what there's always estrogen and that looks like combination pills might be the ones that are more common now so it has estrogen and progestin i don't know why they're not calling it progesterone stimulation of the hypothalamus can also trigger aggression indicating anger or fear and many other functions related to motivation and emotion you want a feminism that's how you get feminism <laughs> Well, no, the particular brand of insanity. I mean, no, histrionic disorder absolutely, seems to be if, it's, if you're talking about changing fucking, fucking hypothalamus. Hypothalamus. God, that's yeah. just so bad. Yeah, it's I know. So fucking it's bad. so bad. Because oh, it, mm, endocrine system is so important. Hormones are, I don't think people understand how important hormones are. Like, I know neuro, neuromodulators and neurotransmitters are important, but hormones affect them. So it's extra important to take care of your hormones in a, in a natural, good way. But anyway, the, the 21 of the women out of the 50 were taking a combination pill, which is a common type of birth control, provides a dose of synthetic estrogen and progestin. The team also had the women compete online interviews and standardized tests to assess aspects of their mood, personality, and cognitive function. On average, the women taking the pill had a hypothalamus that was about 6% smaller than it was in women not taking the pill. For a brain region, that's a pretty sizable difference, Lipton said. The law was about to go 6%, that's not even 10, that's no, it's no. pea-sized. Like, it's already it's, uh, so tiny and it does so much. So thinking about removing 6% of that, like... Yeah, well, it, it is such a core part of, be... of everything. It's the dead center of the brain because it's basically like the, the you're, you're, you know, if you wanted to way oversimplify it, it's kind of like conscious and unconscious or your thalamus and hypothalamus. It's like, it's way oversimplifying it, but it, they, they just, they're like a switching ISD. station. Interstitial ISD? device? Sure. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, sorry. We're talking about the, the birth control, <laughs> not, I, not an IED. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Uh, given the hypothalamus produces hormones that regulate the body's endocrine system, um, the results are not surprising, said Jonathan Shafir, associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the Ohio State University, who was not involved in research. Birth control pills may be telling the hypothalamus that it doesn't need to produce these hormones. In fact, prior studies have shown that sex hormones promote neurons' growth, Lipton said. One hypothesis is that the synthetic hormone in oral contraceptives interfere with these effects that lead to less and lead to less brain growth. Less brain growth. L's and R's. I'm starting to become Asian again. So that means, yeah, like starting girls early on it, because a lot of times our brains are still growing and changing by, uh, by as late as like 22 or 23, I think, is when the last major changes occur. So the thing I talked about, taking birth control when you're not sexually active to regulate your periods, don't do that. Fucking stupid. Fucking yeah. don't do that. So we always are like, let's go get pharmaceuticals, because the doctors are, doctors would never be unprofessional, and pharmaceutical companies are all there to help us. They're all honorable and they've all done their due diligence. And yes, testing. definitely. They've, uh, they, these systems all work. It's, it's capitalism by God. What could possibly go wrong there? <laughs> Still exactly what the effect of a smaller hypothalamus might be are not entirely clear. Lipton said. 
He's not making any judgment call. No, we're not going to say other than, yeah, it's like a really central part of the brain that so, everything's fucking connected to. The, the, the study shows that women taking the pill do not have smaller brains overall. So calm down. Calm down, anti-birth control conservatives. <laughs> and that their mental abilities are not affected, except for when they are, because the researchers did find that a smaller hypothalamus is associated with increased anger and symptoms of depression, so their mental abilities are affected. Yeah, so what they mean is they, they can do smarty things. They can do smarty things, but they can't do emotional, like, their yeah. EQ is trash. Yeah, well, they, they, <laughs> EQ could be all right, but it's their, well, their emotional their control. Their emotional control, right. Right. It's, a, it's Their self-control is trash. Yeah. Uh, their ability of their brain to Well, not, it's literally, it's not even, it's... Yeah, they can't help it. It's not even necessarily, they could still have the same control structures and then have the strength. It's like, okay... The overwhelming strength. Everybody, everybody of, has a normal size dam to controlling right. emotions, yeah. and then when you have a giant flood of Pumping emotions, it, it destroys the dam. Right. It's, that's, right. that's one of the things that people who have not uh, experienced any different brain state other than alcohol do not get. Right. Is that you know you? And that's why I, I want to continue repeating the same yeah. thing. It's like we imagine will. that's what the show's about. Yes, <laughs> imagine you know as a man crying in public there is a there is an overwhelming that's at some point in your life it's happened and you did not no matter what you wanted you didn't you you did not stop it from happening now some for some guys that it may not happen because they they are kind of dead inside but the, it's i mean honestly if a person is incapable of crying gr being moved to tears or grieving to tears there's something wrong with them yeah they are uh, like i'm sorry men who don't cry ever under any, under any circumstances, not once in their life, yeah, there's something there. There's a, a little bit of sociopathy there, but anyway, it's a little machine-like, you know. It's like, well, you know, I could cut you open and look at your guts, or I could shake your hand, whichever, you know, it's up to you. It's, it's, it's fine, let them be, just I wouldn't necessarily... Well, I mean, they, they, hey, they make for great warriors, and we needed sure. a lot of warriors in the past to kill, up, to right. kill the other people. Uh, so anyway... <laughs> Going back to what I was saying. Sorry. <laughs> Talking about the flood of emotion. So there's yes, only, there is you know. a, the, a, an understanding that there are points at which you can raise the volume of emotions. That is that is a thing that can occur, and it can it can happen to anyone. Uh, there's actually a part a part in the brain that you can stimulate and cause, and they've done this, and and it, you can cause a normally peaceful person to attack a complete stranger. You know, it just suddenly physically attack them it is you know there are you know parts of the brain that have to do with you know uh the, well, the way that we fucking work <laughs> when you when you study a little bit of neuroscience you start to understand that but but my point is that there are there are states of mind of having overwhelming overwhelming floods of emotion and so some people may by altering their brain in this way with these chemicals they may literally be experiencing something you've never experienced where all of their emotions the volume on them has been turned up a thousand fold and you don't understand what it's like to have that experience because you you haven't all you've ever experienced it with is like once a long time ago you had that volume of emotion coming through that you could not control whereas they're having it Every day, all the time, there's constantly this volume, just super high volume emotion that's just crashing against any, uh, you know, they, they, they cannot stop it and because their brain has been altered in some fundamental way.
And so understanding that that's even a possibility, I think, is something that most people just do not get because they've not had that internal experience and people mistakenly believe that everybody's internal experience is the same mm-hmm. and that everyone's internal experience is, is actually very, very different. We're told our, I mean, here's the thing. There's two, there's like three stages. You start as a child not knowing that anybody has an internal experience. Mm-hmm. And so people go around telling each other, other people are just like you, other people are just like you, other to get people to get across to all those children and, right. and especially autistic children that, that other people actually have a real, they actually have an experience inside of them like you have experiences you want things you are sad sometimes you have these things happen to you and so that's the first step is you have to get people past that first stage Mm -hmm. into the next stage they actually believe in the existence of other humans and then the the third stage is refining that to the point of making them understand everyone is not like you okay we had to tell you everyone is like you so you get the first fucking step now we have to tell you they're not like you, okay? They're they're having vastly different experiences of reality from you. I mean, yes, they're in their basic core way that they work, uh, but the, the motivations, right? That, yeah. But the volume of things is the only way. Uh, the the amount that they experience various emotions and various drives and various you know the just the experience of pain. For instance, like when you're a kid, you sit there and you you know you. You, you try to look at who's tougher because who, who can stand more pain when you're, when you're a male child anyway. Yeah. And, say, and, and, and you don't realize that some of the people there literally are experiencing less pain from the same stimuli. Mm-hmm. Now, and so there, there is a, a, yes, it is valuable to be able to hold back and you're kind of looking at each person's ability to withstand, you know, but there are certain people who are going to have more they're just not experiencing the same amount of pain, so they're automatically. It's literally easier for them to uh, to to do the same to have the same stimuli occur to them. It's it is easier for them to stand. Now, I mean, there's other things that will change that they'll be a little dumber in certain ways because it's basically like being high on opioids when your own system is constantly producing very high you know, um, you know, uh, endorphins that block pain all the time, then you're not going to feel a lot of pain, but you're also going to be a little bit dense. You're going to be, you know, you, you may be a little slow on the uptake. And so there's those people who are slow on the uptake and really tough simply because they've just got a high opioid system. And then that opioid system can be ruined uh, in a certain way and they'll no longer be that way, but they also might gain some clarity. And there's just all these different things in the brain and people just, I don't know, it's, it's, I mean, I know how I was raised and how the general idea Mm -hmm. that is kind of communicated to you that everyone believes and understands, you know, it's just not reflective of reality. And, and, And there's just this huge lack of understanding how different people are because we've had to spend so much time as a society just getting people to understand other people have an experience at all mm-hmm. and there's a lot of focus on that over and over and over everywhere you go people are repeating that message people are just like you on the inside they're just like you and they're not because that's the that's, that's the child's message you need we need to get people to the adult message that people are not like you they're not experiencing the same thing as you yes Kenny you want to tell me about it? He's going to tell us about it. Yeah, he is agreeing. He is. I felt like you were cut off by oh. the mouse. No, no, I wasn't <laughs> cut off by the mouse. Let's see. He, he, finished, he finished it. I mean, he put a capstone on it. I couldn't have. You know, he really... 
You really <laughs> Well said, Kenny. Well said. Well, there's um, a comment from chat about, uh, since you're talking about pain tolerance, there's this uh, fascinating thing that we touched on a little bit, but uh, we'll, you know, could and would go over it again, as to the high opioid autism and low opioid autism. Yeah. And the uh, one, because there are sometimes when you look at certain manifestations of autism, they overlap with um, sociopathic tendencies. And so there was even a question of our autist sociopaths, what's going on? Well, and then of course you look at others and they're just like super gentle, super soft, like too sensitive for this world. And, but they have trouble with eye contact and, but they're extremely like kind. And so it's like, what, what the fuck? Like that's not a sociopath, but that's still somebody on the spectrum. So what the hell is happening? And we have, um, I don't know if it's like an official research thing or... At this point, it's been too long since I've looked into it. So all I know is that, that, that I noticed, right. uh, and I, I'm, I don't pay very close attention to what the uh, orthodoxy is sometimes, sure. when I, you know, because I don't really care. And a lot of times they're so So we so like to postulate a theory. Yes. We have that, a theory. We have a theory that somebody else may have communicated to me first. I don't even know. Uh, and that there, that there are... There's, it's the two extremes of um, opiates that uh, opioid um, function that you find in autism. Now, I mean, autism. Well, so first of all, there's three types of opioids, right? We have the mu opioid, which is the pain relief. Then we have the capo opioid, which is fear and social learning. Right. Essentially, well, it's, it's a fear receptor that is synapses on uh, the amygdala, on. which right. is the fear and so social learning area of the brain. Uh, but capoid receptors get activated by fearful responses. And uh, then there's the delta opioid. I don't fucking know what they do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so. well, nobody really knows particularly well because it, it has some uh, some of the functions of the pain. I mean, all the different, the reason why they're all called opioid receptors is because they're all somehow uh, linked to pain in some strange way, but they're very different right. in their you, you release capo-opioids yeah. uh, along with mo-opioids, and mo-opioids are the ones that are the addictive pills, opioid crisis, that's the mood, that's the actual pain, literal physical pain relief that you experience in your body. They've, they've done awesome stuff with, awesome studies with bunnies, where uh, exposing them to a um, well, not premonition, but expectation. When you expose them to an expectation of a painful stimuli, they will release opioids prematurely to prepare for the pain that's about to come. So I actually use this trick myself when uh, I'm about to like, you know, something physically painful has to be done in order to, you know, do some sort of medical thing or something or like a shot or squeezing a painful pimple. I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> so like I brace myself for the pain with this expectation of pain welcoming the pain because that's gonna make my my axis like it's coming it's about to be there Where, where's that opioids come on carry up buddy <laughs> and a little bit of capo opioids capo opioids are also released with it and they have an anti-addictive property and we did actually a great uh talk episode about this uh, about salvia and the opioid crisis and i made sure to add the cards to the last uh, awesome. stream. So I'll add a card right here right now. You can go watch our, our uh, opioid episode for those that are uh, re-watching this and not the live people. But <laughs> <laughs> So the... Um, so, yeah, the two the, the opioids. Two, yes, and, uh, and so there... Okay, there, there is definitely a connection between gut health and... Um, and this was something people had noticed uh, a while back, like way before um, uh, they had actually 
pointed out that there's a direct connection between the gut and uh, and autism, which uh, has to do with the way, which is it's part of vitamin D and the way that serotonin is specifically um, used in the gut versus how it's used in the brain. That was one of the first really uh, new, major discoveries. New study explains how microbiome gut bacteria affects fear. Yes, exactly. Quantum magazine, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so, and then uh, most people probably know that uh, that opioids uh, impact um the the speed that your gut works so we you know uh, when people take pills or or any kind of thing like that they get all stopped up and uh and so and then and then whenever they're um withdrawing then they got diarrhea uh and so there's like there and there are these different connections well one of the things that uh are is often was connected to um uh, autism before people knew it was directly related to the gut uh, in the, the through the vitamin D serotonin route, but uh, before they that they knew they noticed that people had weird gut health issues um, and with autistics. And so uh, one of the things that I there's these okay there's these neat little tricks of things that are that are connected to other things. And now I'm going to tell you about this because I want to tell you about something related, and that is like. Like if you take your hands and fold them right now, uh, you're going to have one thumb that is over the other and trying to fold your hands the other way, uh, you'll feel that it's just uncomfortable, gross, like, ugh. Okay. That don't fit right. <laughs> and about 90% of the time, the way that you're folding your hands will directly correlate with your eye dominance, which, which eye you uh, uh, see like if you've ever done eye dominance tests where basically if you if you take your hands make that, a little hole right, and like raise to... it straight over something what was in the you know whichever eye is open when that object right. is in the if, center of the hole you don't mean which eye sees better because no, some people with astigmatism yeah it's very different than yeah eye dominance and, is not strength of vision and there's more people who are right-handed and right eye dominant than there are people there's a, there's not as nearly as many people who are right-handed and left eye dominant uh, usually your eye dominance and your handedness uh, are, are strongly correlated. Uh, but there are people who cross over and a lot of times those people tend to be ambidextrous and, you know, uh, or at least slightly ambidextrous and, you know, things of that nature. So anyway, that's just a, it, it's just a neat little thing that I've taught people before that you'll notice that the way that you just fold your hands is, uh, has to do with sort of these brain dominance things. Uh, which of course, that's when I, when I talk about eye dominance, I, you're also talking about uh, brain dominance to some extent or another. So there are these interesting correlations. Well, along that same route, if you are, uh, if your body is producing lower opioids than is natural, or higher amounts of opioids than is natural, then that's going to impact the way that your gut normally is functioning. And so one of the ways that you'd be able to tell if you were more on the, the higher end of opioids versus the lower end is whether or not most of the time you're, you're running solid and occasionally stopped up, or most of the time you're running too damn much and uh, almost never get stopped up. And that's going to tell you if you, you, you know, the, the latter, when you're, when you're not getting stopped up, that means you're probably low opioids. And if it, uh, and when you are getting stopped up, that means you're probably producing high amounts. So if you, but if you are what normally, if you're neither, then you might be kind of in the middle. That's uh, then you then you're probably where you're kind of where you're supposed to be. But uh, uh, but it, it that's 
like I said, these are loose things. These are not, or, these are not direct. Or hard, depending. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> these are, these are, um, there's a lot of so, factors so that go into it. if your poop hurts your butthole when you poo, you're probably high opioid. But if it just kind of runs out of your butt, you're probably low. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Soft servers. <laughs> these things are not one-to-one -one correlations. Road. There's other things that go in. There's a lot more to it. I mean, because. You're welcome from your ruining ice cream for you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a simple metaphor, Rocky but Road. But the, the, the point is that there was that there. Um, it's usually some sort of opioid dysfunction goes along with uh, autistics, and then uh, and then you'll see that opioids also have to do with uh, social interaction. And basically, whenever you interact with people, you're supposed to release opioids, and then those are supposed to also downstream of opioids. You have dopamine, and that's part of why opioids are are addictive. Uh, is because of how it alters the dopamine. But you're supposed to, when you have interactions with new people especially, be releasing opioids. And, that's, uh, and, and that is supposed to be a normal, healthy interaction, and it's supposed to be rewarding. Well, there's two ways in which that can, be, that can go wrong. And that is, when you interact with new people, it gives you nothing new because you're always at a high level, so there is no bonus you have there's there's no reason there's no reward there's no value and if there is anything negative then that's a set, a, then, then it's then that's it's, all you remember then that's all you get from humans <laughs> yeah. and then there's the other way around where absolutely every interaction is i mean there's always danger and and uh, with new people there's always uh there's always little slights and things like that that occur and so therefore if you're low opioid the same thing is is sort of also true in that it's that every social interaction is is therefore nothing but pain. Uh, it's, it's just a from way. a different way. If, but if you have a healthy system that's in the middle, then it's properly rewarding you, making you kind of blunted and dull because emotional pain and a physical pain are very closely related in, in the uh, in the brain. And so, uh, like even physically, but the. Um, so, so you're so if you're in the middle, you're supposed to be getting rewarded for social and, interactions and getting punished for others. And, and sort That's of, why yeah. it's fear and social learning. Right. So you're supposed to be having, and it's supposed to be kind of this middle area, yeah. and not always this one note of it's, uh, it's you're always you've always got a certain amount, and so there's no reward here at all, or like it, or, and... <laughs> or everything always sucks and is in and is is painful, and you you don't get any reward that way either. So both ends that they, they horseshoe towards each right, other in in, so, in sense that social interaction rewarding. is shit. Yeah. Yes, social interaction <laughs> is basically shit to you if you have either high or low. It's just shit to you for different reasons. Right. <coughs> and that can explain some of the other things we see with autism, where when you're high opioid, you're like, well, I don't really care about other humans or what they want. Yeah, exactly. Is, what 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 good are they doing me at all? Which is kind of sociopathic. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> and then on the other hand, you have the, you know, um, the Everything uh, that they do hurts you. Right, yeah. <laughs> Everything is amplified. Right. Um, all the tiny little slights where people are just playing with you, but you take it personally because you don't know because mm -hmm. you, you're not getting that opioid. Right. And, and the truth of the matter is the people who are playing rough a lot of times don't care that they are doing certain things that are hurtful and they are actually are doing things that are hurtful to, but there's and a level like, of hurtfulness that you're supposed to get so you're supposed steal to steal yourself to because it's because part of because it's just part because there's you're going to be bumping into each yeah. other in the future that's why the, the rough play and things like that it's happen allowance with children. for each other's existence I think that's, <laughs> yes exactly that's why children are supposed to be able to play and and learn to be able to bump into each other and why they purposely, why children are kind of pre-programmed to purposely kind of be a little shitty every once in a while 
is so that you are getting used to that the overall is it's worth it and sometimes it's an accident sometimes it's not but it doesn't really matter because overall it's it, you know your overall interaction is supposed to be greater than the little slights mm -hmm. and that that and, and the, the little slights are not supposed to be a big deal because there's always going to be little slights that are accidents too yeah. and they're where they misunderstandings right. accidents uh... And so you're supposed Somebody to be being an asshole that you're supposed to forgive. Right. Know? So you're supposed to be able to have that. And then, but then, you know, when you're either impatient because they're not giving you any value in one way or because it's all, everything that they do is hugely painful and you're not getting any value in the other way, you know, it's, uh, it's, that's, that's just going to fuck up social socialization. And, and of course, don't, don't let this be the end, uh, all because, uh, you can absolutely fix your microbiome. As long as you have fiber for the good bacteria to live in and then supplement yourself with a variety of probiotics from uh, yogurt to Icelandic yogurt to kombucha to kimchi, all the various, um, yeah, did I forget any other source of probiotics? probiotics? <laughs> I really like, I mean, I really like specifically Good Belly. Uh, oh yeah, Good Belly's good too. Yeah. Yeah, Good Belly juice, um, especially if you have liquid poop, actually. That, that seems to, to help. Um, then Icelandic skier because it has uh, Icelandic cultures, which is, you know, you want well, as many different cultures. Well, they have these, they have these cultures that are... Um, uh, heirloom cultures. Yeah, but the, it's uh, specifically, a, uh, what's it called? Streptococcal. Right, right, uh, right, so right. so, like strep so is normally harmful, but you could have, uh, have any given bacteria, you could have a, a less harmful type. And yeah, like a vaccination. Right. Uh, well, in the vaccination, your body's used to it and, and, and fights well, against this, it. this, you just but grow then, uh, competitive. Right. Steps. You're growing, you're growing something that fills the same ecological niche and, and is not as harmful to you. And that's the thing that that's why it's good for it to be a relative. And like then that. of course, when you have kefir or plain yogurt that has, um, lacidophilus and five or six other bacteria, they're usually all the same. So you're going to link that, that study about how it's, uh, how the gut is related to fear. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So. In fact, we might, uh, I did already put it in neuropsych room in our discord. Okay, cool. Um, and uh but yeah so uh a lot of times the regular yogurt and computers that you can get in america they all have the same six um probiotic strains so that's why we suggest also adding good belly and uh, which is a particular brand of of juice with probiotics and it's fruit juice it's really yummy and uh you also can get um kombucha which has the um the scoby the the yeast and uh, bacteria mm -hmm. colony um and the thing about yogurt and kefir, uh, one thing we also like to add is to uh, get a bunch of the different brands or types, um, organic, not whatever, who cares, but uh, make sure um, to get them and then open them and sample them to see which one you like the best and then leave them in the fridge for as long as possible. And whichever one does not mold, that's the shit you want to keep taking. Yeah, because it's, it's creating something competitive. Now, I mean... Right. Making sure that it's not this chock full of preservatives. Oh, absolutely! It has it. to be plain yogurt with right. nothing but. It has to be live culture yogurt. Live so culture, there's not yes. so there's not a bunch of preservatives. No in sugar, it. no preservatives. Right. Yeah, as as plain, and that's why I mentioned organic because a lot of times we <coughs> we go for that just simply to eliminate as many. You but know, you basically want some bacteria that are very competitive and good and the and, against the various uh, things that might be in the environment, like molds and bacteria and stuff like that that you're always intaking. So you're gonna be you're gonna have a good uh, you know. A good culture in your gut, then you want something that is is competing well.
But um, one of the things I wanted to point out, though, is like talking about, you know, how autism is the extreme malification of the brain. Yes. I think that, that Hans Asperger. Right. The uh, the specific way in which it I think it's typically supposed to uh, work, because obviously it is kind of a uh, by design feature in in humans, uh, you know, that the. the, the the ch changes to the brain are related to these various, uh, you know, neurochemical signaling pathways and and things of that nature. I think that it, that um, you know men generally need to be uh, a little more um, stable. Yeah, stable, uh, dull to to incoming pain uh, of every kind, incoming including emotion, emotion. Incoming social right fret right exactly <laughs> and, and being and so they're also tend tend to be uh, a, a typical masculine person is going to be a little more dense uh and that but that's a good thing in certain ways and bad thing bad way you know it's a bad thing in certain ways and it's a good thing in certain ways that's you know just being able to understand that there's a give and take there that it's like if you're more if you're more dull to something uh you don't have you don't you don't pick up on so, <laughs> right exactly you're not you're not picking up on the the subtleties well sometimes being oblivious to subtleties is very powerful and valuable and you're not flailing all over the place because you're paying attention to every little tiny fucking thing uh and so it's a, there's a um i think the higher opioid autism even though it kind of it does tend towards a little more so sociopathy it just to a tiny extent when it's functional it's just when it's extreme of course that it's that it becomes a problem but when it's functional you're not falling in with the whole crowd you're not right. immediately empathizing with every flailing emotion that everyone's having and you're you're, you're just being keeping, an individual yeah you're exactly you're being an individual but being an individual also if you're too fucking individual you don't give a shit about anybody else There's doing no and, you're, and you're not cooperating so it's yeah, I, I just, based on cooperation so i think that the, the way that the system is generally supposed to work for for autism and asperger's is that's the that's the by design um, method, and I think that probably the low opioid uh, autistic uh, type is probably a little less normal and mm -hmm. probably a little a little more dysfunction than uh, you know, and, and and but it may be functional in other ways, of course, though because Savants. by being yeah by being very 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 uh, sensitive. So sensitive is a is a word here. That, That's an actual thing that I would like for us to go over. It's a, a specific TED talk where a highly sensitive person is actually literally a neuro, um, neuro neurochemical uh, model or a, a type where uh, they think faster in a certain way. They, they process things in a different way. So there's literal physical changes in a highly sensitive person. Right. So and they, so they actually have more pain and sense, but also right. because they're sensitive, they also pick up little subtleties and don't miss little details and you know so there's there's values to that as well and so uh, so i think that the low that so our, uh... i think the low opioid uh, autistic spectrum is, is where a lot of your scientists and things come from mm -hmm. um the, you, the the gentle nerds <laughs> yes the very the very gentle very ones a lot of times is because they uh the reason that they're very gentle is because they are living by the golden rule and they're hoping that other people will be gentle as well and uh you know it's it, of course that's you can, well that's really interesting you can hope in one hand <laughs> right but that's interesting they bring that up because it's something i ran across uh just a couple hours ago with um china and this is something that i'm experiencing personally 
Um, so, so let me, I guess, um, chrono chronologize the story. Chronologize <laughs> the story properly. So I ran into a thing where an American is talking about Chinese companies and saying, "Why are you always trying to kiss my ass? Just show me." your product show me how you treat your employees that's what i want to see stop being a bootlicker and chinese people are like no you dummy we treat people with respect and politeness because we're expecting to be treated that way back yeah. it's a aspect of business that they have that is and, and she said uh, naomi was talking about how she saw a bunch of deals fall through specifically because of this cultural difference yeah. where the Chinese are like, oh, yes, sir, please, sir, thank you, sir, because they're expecting you to be the exact same way back to them. And that's exactly what I experience in my dealings with the reviewers from China. So I get these emails that are like, oh, kind sir, please, will you please do us this favor? We'll do anything. We will fall on the ground for you. We'll put our bodies over a puddle for you, anything. And so at first I'm like, yeah. I want to respond in kind. But yeah. then I'm like, are they tricking me? Are they trying to fucking take advantage of me? What's it? And then I'm like, no, come, no, just respond in kind. And I do, and everything's great. Yes. In a more violent culture, uh, people see uh, politeness as weakness and fear. Uh, and, and, and so, but it, it, the they don't understand is, that it's a, it's, it's a business way it's like, of being. And, and the most people don't <laughs> understand this until they go somewhere that is, go into an environment that is more violent and mm -hmm. be polite and see if it doesn't get you treated like shit. So true. It, when you go into a, into where the the a general the general way exactly an emotional, emotional war zone if you go into and you are not coming uh, very curt and uh, rude etc. Assert your boundaries you with will, your body language and... right you're, and, and just basically if you're not going in as a complete dickhead you will be treated like shit uh, in, in, because the, there is a the higher right you'll you'll be at the bottom uh, and so people actually they you know when a when the group is not super high, highly competitive that you're in, there actually is some room for uh, a little more of those peaceful interactions that where people can be polite with each other and gentle with each other and things like that. But but when you're in a highly competitive environment, like you just go to you know, go to a place where you know there's a lot of violence, and you know in general, you, if you are if you are not very primitive and in your and very you know um if you're not a dickhead basically if you're not a dickhead you're just showing that you're afraid that that's what the, the only reason for you to be sucking up to someone is because you fear their power that's right. the more primitive you know uh the only reason for you to be nice to someone is because you're attempting to get something out of them and you're attempting you know there isn't when things are not cooperative in a given environment and that changes throughout you know that is a that is a local cultural thing in other words the very the, the environment in a place can change i'm not talking about one country i'm talking about places in this country and places in other countries are going to have a very different uh cultural feel about them in the way that you interact and like so you go and you live in you know suburbia in uh you know the you know sweet little little country town where everybody uh, gets along and has for you know and they haven't had many outsiders and everybody's friends with each other and 
and the way that those people interact and take that set of inter inter you know, interactions where you're saying, yes, sir. You know, I, I actually uh, grew up in a little country town and everybody used yes, sir and yes, ma'am and things like that. It's just kind of that was just the culture. Uh, but then you take that to some inner city where people are hanging on by the, the by the, you know, by their teeth, you know, and, and, and people are scrabbling, and, and you know, and people are killing each other and there's crime and there's, there's, and people are generally more fearful. You use that there and, and everybody, everybody is going to view you as weaker because they, they just because the, the environment is different and people have adapted to that more competitive environment. And so it, it's, it's the, the ever increase of, of, of competition and you can actually see the changes in the brain that that occur because as as fear rises which that's basically you fear is also part of you the the appropriate rage response mm -hmm. you, the fear leads to to rage that allows you to yep. you know react when something is it's dangerous allows you to notice when things are getting dangerous fear more, leads to anger yeah no a, a person who is who is more capable of defending people and therefore is is capable of recognizing a situation that is dangerous the the truth of the matter is they are more fearful it just ha it just well, expresses as vigilant but it's the same thing yes vigilance and fear is the same thing and and uh, and so because it's expectation been, of bad things right and then the expectation of bad things of course leads to pattern recognition uh, where prophecy and therefore self-fulfilling prophecy <laughs> and so there's just these different feedback loops that happen in these different environments that can go wrong right, or, or and, right. and then those and then those those environments tend to spiral out of control and, and people who live in very safe communities a lot of times end up being a bit more cowardly. Uh, they actually, even though they are polite and things like that in general, because they are they don't recognize uh, danger and they they can react very badly to danger or far too slow to it right. or, uh, or just freeze and or, and because of the inexperience with right. it. So there is a a level of. Um, Necessity. Yeah, it's a, even though they have less fear overall in them, their fear response because uh, they've not grown enough reaction to a constant fear response, so they don't know how to act upon feeling fear, and therefore various things like rage. Should I be? You know, is, is this a? Uh, there's there are so many people who in a in a life and death situation will fail to do the right thing because they've not been frequently in a horrible situation in their life, mm -hmm. and that isn't. Is it, do you really hold that against people no. that they've not been in some horrible fucking situation, some hellish you know life experience that they're good at being in a hellish life experience? You can't really hold it against them. So so very good people will be pathetic at at, at very important points of life, and that's why they will this, fail the rest of. Their... And, and that's why there's this thing where, where I, I talk about the sacrifice that is mm -hmm. made by police and by. Uh, soldiers and things like that, that that also at the same times makes them, you know, that's what people don't, don't understand. You have to be it's less a of a nice and therefore less of a good in general, cooperative sort of person who is less paranoid when, and you're, is a more when you're a warrior. But we need warriors. And so what, the idea of what is good That's is why Sparta also, was its own town. It right. was far away. They did their own thing. You, and then yeah. they were called upon. They had their own fucked up culture, <laughs> which I admire. Yes, but it's, it was fucked up leaving ten year old out to fend for themselves for three nights with the shit. 
But yeah. also, goddamn, those are some men, right? Right, right. And this <laughs> so, is just understanding there's a give and take and that there is a, there's a sacrifice of being a less good person that is a necessity of something that we need. Because the truth of the matter is, no, you're just not as good of a person. I'm sorry. In general, the, the overall dealing with other people, if you're good, dealing with the worst, if you're good um, at being good, if you're good at war, you are bad at being a human. But but we need people who are good at war. <laughs> so there's like you need defenders. You need people who sacrifice uh, being as friendly, being as capable of being understanding and forgiving. And because you have when when you want a good cohesive society, you need people who are quick to forgive. But when you when you have when you need people who are good at stopping exploitation, you need people who don't forgive. So you have all these these we have these needs of opposing things that because there are these various situations, we do need these specializations that lose one good thing to get a different good thing. And that is all of us have these specializations. And I just I just wish people could understand our ideas of a good person a lot of times has to do with the it's it's always having to do with what the situation you're talking about, because the truth of the matter is that person who's who's a dickhead uh, in general, you know, when you're in a dangerous situation, that's the person you want to fucking follow. Okay, because a lot of, they're they're gonna recognize danger quicker. They're gonna pattern recognize that shit. Okay, but when they when things are good, when you're talking about whether or not you should trust these friends, whether or not you should treat people uh, with more justice and fairness and th and forgiveness and things like that, and give allowances. Don't listen, and... don't listen to that person. They're gonna be fucking wrong because they're gonna be paranoid. They're gonna be uh, they're, they're gonna be expecting the worst. They're of gonna people. bring they're gonna see about human beings as shittier. They're gonna they're, bring about the world that they're used to living in. Exactly, they create it because they they defend them they preemptively defend and what preemptive defense is is attack, is attack. <laughs> and so it's like understanding offense is the best defense right and so therefore <laughs> all of us have to understand you can't be both of those people you can't always you have to make some choices you could be kind of a shitty version and or kind of fairly good it's just like you can't be a marathon runner and a, and a heavy lifter they're two different body types right. uh, and, and the endurance and things like that that you need to be able to mar be, to marathon breaks down all the muscle that you need to be a heavy lifter. And if you're trying to reach Olympic levels of that shit, you're just, you just can't, you can't, you could be fairly good at lifting heavy weight and, and, and pretty damn good at, 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 you know, distance running, but you're not going to be as good as the people who specialize in, in, in one of those things. And we need the specialists. We also too need the generalists, but you just have to recognize, what you're giving up if you choose to be a specialist or if you choose to be a generalist and and you're just like i wish this was more like people i don't understand why this isn't something absolutely everybody understands and talks about from the very earliest of age because it's because it's easier it's to so say crucial. conservatives bad liberals bad right exactly that's true because hey, when it comes down to it that's kind of what we're talking about here because but you know the conservatives know this they're like hey when the end of the world hits Y'all are going to be coming to me because I got the guns, motherfucker. Like, yeah, you're right. You're kind of right. Yeah. We will join up yes. with people who've got the guns. Right. And you've been stockpiling and stockpiling and all of your stockpiling has exploited people around you and you didn't know it. Oh, whoops. And there's a lot of people that have been dying and <laughs> yeah, fucking and, up and, and this whole time. And, but, you're, but you're good at stockpiling. You're damn good at doing that thing that's and destroying it, everything. And at that one situation oh, when we yeah. need it, we will need you. And, and you're causing us to need it. And you're causing us to need it. Right. Oh, shit. Oops. 
But yeah, that's good. I know that was very example. controversial what I just said, but you know, that's the. That's... Well, but I mean, it's sort of a bad example to what we were saying because you said we need warriors, and now you're saying we don't need warriors. We do need warriors, but we don't necessarily need people stockpiling. And we don't necessarily, we don't necessarily need warriors among us, is what I think. Well, what we need is Texas some... can secede all at once. No, what we need <laughs> is for people to understand that warriors uh, need to be around warriors, and right. and the the people who forgive and build society need to be around people who forgive and, and build society. And to not take offense And the cooperators to each other. and and, uh, and and warriors need to know that they're two different types and, and that they they're not both get are valid and that they're both valid and, <laughs> and, and, and completely irreplaceable. Both of them are completely irreplaceable. That's the thing that's difficult to get. Mm -hmm. They are both irreplaceable, but they're also not uh, meshable. Yeah. And understanding who is good at what decisions, where is the, is the thing that is the, the, uh, part of our, our political difficulties, mm -hmm. uh, understanding who should be making the decision when it comes to should we be stockpiling and sucking in resources like a vacuum forever and because we'll, we will never be safe because there'll never be enough resources to keep us from death uh and, you know it's, it's so there's there is a drive to ever to grow 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 suck in more suck in more create more stuff because you'll never be safe enough you got to stockpile more and that's the and, and that's a devourer that's why that's how war is created and and what but what are they also doing is they're they're trying to prevent the bad thing that could happen if anything goes wrong and right. so there's a, a you know and then if you don't stockpile at all if you don't plan for the future if you're always confident that everything's going to go right well then something is going to go wrong and everything's going to collapse and but so in the meantime the society that you build but that's why we're supposed to have a balance between those things we're not supposed to allow people to stockpile infinitely and we're not and we shouldn't have people who to just piss away everything and never plan for the fucking future either and so there's a you know just being able to understand who is good at what and why and, and what when and who necessary. is bad at what and why uh is i think it's i think we would integrate better if we started understanding these lessons Definitely. more and we'd, uh, we'd understand the balance between conservative and, and liberal viewpoints and where they fail and why they fail and you know and, and where they succeed and why they succeed and where they become too a feedback loop that that goes out of fucking control when they're when they're at their extremities mm -hmm. and so i think it's just if we could just get more understanding around that i think that we could people could be okay with being a certain type and saying i am extremely fucking valuable in even my though I'm, place I'm, in the world right but i'm all but then being able to recognize i am not I am not uh, extremely valuable in all circumstance. Just I am like not an perfect system. in all circumstance. Just like an immune system causes allergies when it starts attacking itself. Exactly. You need an so immune I, well, let's just keep keep amping up the immune system until I melt. <laughs> no, no, immune cell does not need to be mad at the heart cell. Like mm. it's not. You can both coexist. You both have jobs to to do, and neither of you is superior, and neither of you is inferior. Yeah, and getting that across is But you're just, both inferior and you're both superior in different yeah, ways. Yeah, that's right. And getting that across is just so fucking hard because everybody's Well, taking, how long did it take us to try to explain this, you know? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> you can't uh, condense it into a 60-second soundbite. There's certain things you just cannot ever, exactly. And all of society has now been trained on, on not having any ability to concentrate more than about five seconds at a time. Convenient, isn't it? <laughs> yes convenient for the world falling apart um let's see uh there might be an issue with your use of stockpiling term specifically 
Um, is stockpiling the word you want? Do you mean a guy with a year's worth of rice and beans or a guy with a hundred billion dollars? I mean a guy with a hundred billion dollars because they're both the same drive. In one, in one case, they're doing it to a certain extent. And in the other case, they're doing it to an extreme. Uh, well, one is broken and the other one has a self-limiter. Right. right, exactly. One is limiting because they know that, that, that infinite stockpiling is fucking stupid. Uh, and but they, but some stockpiling is necessary. Whereas the other, they're they what they are doing is they're engaging in infinite stockpiling. There's never enough power. There's never enough safety. There's never enough uh, resources, and they have to keep going after more. That's why an absolute lust for power. Because you'll find that these people who have this lust for power are dead inside, and they have horrible lives. Their children hate them. Their uh, their their the families of extremely wealthy people are just absolute fucking just disaster zones always they and, and, and somehow people in the third third world have yeah and the, and the poorest the poorest people on, on the planet they, they, they the end up, they're always like they love each other you know it's like you watch those communities in papua new guinea or or in, or and in those, south and those Australia. happy people are easily preyed upon by the people who have horrible uh oh yeah they, they have can, horrible lives yeah they can barely <laughs> put one and two together right. but they're loving and happy and Right, yeah. uh, but and you find that, they, of course, and we're talking about you know generalities here. It's not it, there are exceptions, but like we're talking about that you, whenever I've interacted, and I've interacted with some very very rich people, and usually they're they're they, when I compare the poor people that I've met to the rich people that I've met, and I've met a lot of them and interacted with them across countries, their families, they are pretty much the 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 love in their family versus the horror in their family can pretty much be uh, you know measured in dollars and cents. If the more money that is in that family, usually the more horror that is in their lives and, and the, and the less money, the more that they have, have come together. And like I said, exceptions and rules, there's definitely exceptions. And whenever a family reaches the point at that, where they're, where they can't live, you know, that where they're not being able to feed themselves and things like that, then of course, the, the, kind of then the stress that's in their life tears apart the Absolutely. family too, of course. But they, but when you're talking about, you know, there, there's so many people. The point here is, is to see that they're, they're not buying happiness because right. they don't understand what they want and they don't understand that they're it's fear. They're just going on fearful instincts. It, and they don't understand that's what it is, is that it's fear-based rage because they do have a, have a, a, tend, a tendency to, when you're, when you're extremely the stockpiling kind, you tend to see the rest of humanity as a bunch of shit that you fucking hate. Uh, and that's a, another thing that I tend to notice about a lot of extremely, extremely rich people who never have enough, uh, is that they, they have this background, uh, misanthropy towards, towards mankind because they, they see all of humanity as scum as thieves and, right, and, and usually as thieves. And, and so they, there is this thing that has to do with fear that is, that they don't realize is contributing to that rage, to that, that anger, to that, that. See, it's usually it's not uh, indignation. Exactly, it's righteous indignation is what they think it is, but it's it's actually this underlying fear uh, because of a di social disconnection, and so they actually drive more social disconnection in their life. They actually kill the love that would make them satisfied and happy by trying to pursue satisfaction. By trying to pursue exactly, it's the the more. It, the more they chase happiness, the harder they chase it, the more they chase it away because they, they don't chase the right thing because they don't exactly. know what's driving them. Because they're not looking, they're not looking for the love that would actually cure that the, the hole that is uh, that they're trying to fill. No, they're looking for power. And, and they think that the power they're will. They're looking for abatement of fear.
Right. And they don't know what that's about. And, well, they think power is that's that makes me feel good and I, I feel powerful Everyone and that's something that. and so it's something to look look you know up to and it's like no, it's actually it's a, a be, having that need for power is a fear. You're betraying your weakness. Right. Exactly. Right. It is a, it, having this uh, insatiable need for power is just a is is a it's a admittance. Exactly. It's a it's a it's a weakness. Exactly. Admittance. It's just like a cheater in a in a game. When you go into a game and somebody has to cheat, you know that they are admitting to themselves that they are worthless. They cannot fucking compete for real. Mm-hmm. And 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 people who want pow- more and more power, the reason they want power is to they have can't starting advantage over others. Yep. They want to have an j- advantage. They, don't they know want they to, can't compete. They never want things to be equal, ever. Yep. A lot of times they will they will sit there and pretend. Those people who say that they want equal starting grounds, they want, they're completely full of shit, that they want competition. Lip no, service. they want to eliminate competition. That's why you constantly see these huge companies. They're doing their very best to to make sure that others cannot compete. They're doing everything in their power to destroy any kind of fairness because they do what's what's what they're they're trying to do with this massive amounts of of wealth is to attempt to make sure there is never any fair starting ground that there's never any fair competition that they're always on top that they're always guaranteed to win because that's what they care about is winning they don't care about the good of of the people around them or or the good of the system or they're in they can't even tell what's their own good and that's what that's what people who are really into justice sportsmanship specifically sportsmanship where people will go and they compete and they're not angry with each other people who have an argument with each other and they don't get mad even though they'll get, they can even get heated and talking loudly and even slightly emotional but never hold it against each other aluminum. it's not you're not attacking the source you're attacking the argument exactly and they're, they're they're even when they're emotional and going after the argument and they still feel good towards each other that's a good sportsmanship yep. thing it's because what it is is inside they want the environment to be better want they everything want to be better. Fairness. They want the improvement of everything around them, not just some of the not some of advantage ideas. of a win. They're not looking yeah. for the win, they're looking for improvement. And women never argue fairly. <laughs> well, okay. I'm not, not never, that's, but most of the time well, when you engage whoa, in arguments. I, I, we didn't need to go there, but <laughs> well, I'm sorry, you just bring up good sportsmanship, and that's something we've talked about with Karen, where men a lot of times, whenever males, even not in humans even. Yeah. We're talking about females and males and other species. The males compete in order to suss out the weakness and strength of the group so you can breed with the strongest for the benefit of the whole group. While women, females, they cut each other emotionally in order to, to kill and bury each other. It's not about improving the system. It's about eliminating competition. And so, you know, I, definitely nowadays it's not a good argument uh, as much because we have through internet and education and uh, autism, we have uh, people, women, that come more towards the middle and we definitely have you know it's not so one-to-one but a lot well, of Well, there's times, a reason why poisons were, were generally seen as a uh, as the tool of cowards and women <laughs> because there, there is when right, you're talking about as opposed to as opposed honor. to killing each other with swords which which right. actually determined there is some level of giving the other person an opportunity that if they are better they are better at things if they're better at things, then maybe they deserve to be the one who wins because maybe they are right. and, and they're in the right because the systems that they have, have followed. And so there was a general, that's an instinctual thing. There's a reason why that's an instinctual thing because genes in, in general want to find the thing that is actually better, not right. the thing that is temporarily 
better right. because the thing that is only temporarily better and just gets the win because of some situational advantage will actually pollute genes if they if it if it goes towards that that's why genes tend to not like exploitation because it's mm -hmm. only temporarily valid if, if genes tend to search for systems that are more long-term valid and so there's been a habit of that uh, of that kind of searching in in genetic profiles so that's why there is this that's why these in, instincts for justice and things like that actually they actually are there and that's why we hate things that give that when we have the, those instincts that's what we hate those instantaneous momentary advantage things but they keep cropping up because they do tend to give instantaneous momentary advantage. advantages and so so for short periods of time exploitations will work and so therefore it's various just seems to be a gender thing them. in general but it may not be maybe not necessarily because these days uh, gender uh, between the legs doesn't correlate one-to-one -to, -one to the brain type anymore uh, as much as it used to but there's this interesting interplay certainly of, not <laughs> right but there's an interesting interplay between um the, the male sort of uh drive for the betterment of the system Good and the female drive yeah. for looking for exploits of that system yeah and, and it's just it's cheaters it's people who are cheaters uh who who don't they, they don't care about justice they don't they don't even want to know if they are better than other people at, and, and you know they don't want to see because they already they truly believe in their own weakness and that's what a cheater is is that somebody who really deeply believes who knows in their, that they can't win right and not only that they refuse to they refuse to get any better there that, that's the thing is because they believe so strongly in their own weakness that they'll go after exploits instead of competing you know, uh, on an actual level basis, it's because they believe that they can't even improve or don't care to. And so they just, and, and they'll take the easy route. They're the kinds that take the easy routes to thing. And that's why those kinds of people destroy everything. Uh, that's, they, they are the destroyers. The cheaters are the fucking destroyers. That's why we hate cheaters. Yeah. They destroy their environment because they're, fakers, because they're choosing yes lies and that's why we hate lies that's why yeah, we hate they, because that's part of exploitation the boy and, the wolf and so it's, it's because it's a short wolf. There we go. it's a short-term system that destroys better long-term long systems exactly. and, and yes it gives short-term advantage and those people will if they're stupid and short-sighted will think that they're that they're winning in that short-term advantage thing but overall it's destroying the system in which it is well, why should they it care seated. it's not like they're part of the system and all of their progeny is part of that system <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. That was a bit of a tangent, but ah, it's, right. it's a fun tangent. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 it I a tangent? Uh, <laughs> I mean, no, not really. I guess we're talking about the uh, the warriors and the opioid. It, it was yeah. a natural. Yes, it was related to the various brain types and how the, all those things. I'm just trying to extrapolate the benefits of of things that some groups might consider bad and. Also pointing out things that are bad about things that might be considered good. <laughs> yes. All that good stuff. Um, Trying yes. to find some balance. I like to say, I like to point out how the good things are bad and how the bad things are good. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, we did talk about the, the fear aspect of, um, the, it was all sort of part of, part of it all, you know, like fear and, and social reactions to things and etc. Mm -hmm. um, and I do have the, oh yeah, I did want to mention um, that we will be having the references and sources to everything that we talk about on patreon.com slash Anna Cherry. These 
shows get transformed into an mp3 audio file and uploaded to Patreon where you can download them. Now you can peruse the Patreon posts. They are available for the public. You can peruse the posts, look at the re uh, resources, the research, uh, click on all the things yourself. And of course, we also provide an RSS link down in the description here that you can put into a podcast player and that should um, keep up with newest episodes as well. But if you want to do it yourself, um, you can go to patreon.com slash Cherry. If you feel like supporting us, that would be awesome. I highly recommend the challenger mode for the cherry stem specifically. But if you'd like to get more sexy rewards, you can go hardcore and higher. But all of these talks, along with all the resources, are always on patreon.com slash Cherry public posts. And, 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 a, and a final statement here. So we've established that a, a, an insatiable lust for power is an innate weakness of a person who is a, a cheater and a liar. So therefore, why would you think that 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 politics would ever be any good? Because <laughs> those people who have a lust for power are usually the only ones who put that much resources into trying to find power. And, uh, and that's typically because they're full of fear and weakness and they have a cheater the exploiter type of mindset because they're attempting to get power uh, uh, an excess of power that they don't really need for their own happiness and it's that instead of actually seeking out some you know trying to do justice and uh there are a few there's exceptions hell i believe i i, I love bernie by god uh, i think he has good intentions and that's that's what I care about. Regardless, and, and I don't give a shit if you don't like Bernie's politics. You, I, I bet you you can tell that he's got good intentions, even if you think he's stupid or you know old or has it all wrong. You could there's a there's a level of fucking intentions at the very least. Mm -hmm. That's true. Uh, and sometimes, I guess people don't necessarily care about that, but we know that all has to do with their right temporal parietal lobe. <laughs> Right temporal parietal junction, yes. Where they just don't give a fuck about a person's intentions. All they care about is how we're going to pay for that. Yes, that's so, true. So, you know, that, you know, some people may respond to Bernie's intentions, but a bunch of others are probably not going to give a fuck because all they care about is the outcome, which I personally find to be the lesser of the two ways of gauging. Well, no, it's just an incorrect way of doing things because uh, robu robust solutions uh, uh, come from intentions. And intent uh, actually very much changes the outcome. It's only simplistic, like brute force methods that um, that do not, they're not, they're inflexible. That come from those when you measure things in that short-sighted sort of what are the what is the bottom line on X you don't get a robust view of all of the, the variables and uh, and you always end up misjudging it when you have that kind of perspective that's that's why we care about intentions is because we're recognizing uh, a, a robust set of uh, of the outcomes that will will come from this in other words when a person has good intentions they will the outcomes in general will be a certain way whereas if you simply look at you know, a person did X in this specific instance, and if they kept doing that one particular thing over and over, it would still keep coming out good. So therefore, it is good regardless of their intention. That is a, a stupid way of seeing things because first off, they won't uh, completely repeat that exact behavior because that exact situation will not oh, it will not happen. You get, it's it's a that's kind of the scientist viewpoint of things, it's pretending that these very simplified 
things will happen over and over instead of understanding there are many different similar things that possibly kind of happen around something. That's why the, the, the intentions versus um, you know, outcomes is, uh, is a broken way of looking at things because when you look at intentions, you can see that there are these, the, the tries that will, will look at more variables and will attempt to find the best of those variables and try to go in a given direction. And so it's, it's just, it's, it has to do with robust solutions instead of simplistic solutions. I don't know what robust solutions mean, but. <laughs> robust means like a multivariate. It's a uh, uh, multi-pronged looking at a lot of different things simultaneously and measuring them all and being able to handle all of their variations. That's what more robust usually um, refers to today. Okay. Flexible and handling lots of variation and uh, things of that nature. Me too. At least that's the general uh, connotation. I think his good intentions will fail to override the bad intentions of all other politicians. But that I actually could kind of agree with. Yeah, um, that's always a worry. But that's that, uh, you know, yeah, what are you going to do about that then, though? <laughs> burn it all down, Pookie. <laughs> burn it down. Burn this motherfucker down, Pookie. Yeah. No, no, there's, uh, I, at least if it's. I don't know. I think if it were to go uh, in the right direction, that you you a an avalanche starts with a snowflake, and one snowflake can't can't be an avalanche. Snowflake. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it can. But it can start one. And I think that that even if uh, um, you know the good and the good actions of a couple of well-intentioned people do not have much of an impact uh, at first. It is the it's their impact in aggregate that will uh, will do the thing that we need, and so that's why we can't lose hope simply because we see that it won't be enough. Uh, There's and, a great Doctor Who episode about that that features a every thousand years a bird comes by to sharpen its beak <laughs> yes. on the top of a mountain. Yeah, and that's I think the best encapsulation of do you have fear or do you have the opposite of it in mind right. those who have fear will not believe that the birdie come into that's where faith comes in that you have you have to eventually every single drop every single snowflake will gather up it will happen you just got to hold out yep. you just yep. got to have the patience the only way that difficult things are overcome is with faith and because faith is yeah. that is the is the <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Faith is this. Was, I'm remembering a Bible verse. Yeah, yeah, it's so yeah. funny. Uh, it. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the substance of, of, oh man, I can't remember it. Uh, but but the funny thing is, there are all these things that are part of religions that are that are just good mental practices, mm -hmm. and that's and the point is believing that something good will be there. It allows you to put in the effort because if you do not believe it will happen, you will not put in the effort. It will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It will never happen. And so, so the only way that we can improve our, our government and our, uh, you know, America and things like that is not through losing hope, but through continuing to hold on and have faith that we'll be able to overcome the difficulties. And so it's just, it, that's, uh, and it's easier said than done, but uh, it's just one of those things that's, uh, substance of things hoped for and that 
evidence of things not seen. I think that was the, the Bible verse. I think that was what it was. I don't know. Oh, we might, chat might help us eventually. <laughs> um, should we even talk about anything else? Um, I do have a, another story about how um, inflammation, how, how dementia is reversed in mice. You know, we're talking about um, autism and uh, the, gut. Uh, the gut, and you specifically talked about um, the gut to me leads to inflammation. And then we were, uh, but, yeah, we were relating it to amygdala, hypothalamus. You were, we were talking about all these these uh, these systems and uh, how they relate to various various things that we people would consider personality instead of simply configurations. Mm -hmm. um, and we have, oh, wrong one. Um, and there's this uh, kind of fucking awesome breakthrough, I think I would call it that. Um, but let's let's look at the study. Scientists say that I lost my cherry stem logo. <laughs> Thought I might find it in time, but no. So. For the first time, scientists have reversed dementia in mice with drug that reduces brain inflammation. That's interesting. Isn't it though? Reversing dementia. So this is this like uh, amyloid plaque, beta amyloid plaque type of dementia? Or well, that's it... Alzheimer's. Right. Right. Um, rather than targeting the typical rogue proteins associated with dementia, okay. scientists say that for the first time they reversed uh, dementia. Yes, amyloid plaque. Dementia with a drug that reduces inflammation. So these rogue proteins that they're talking about are amyloid plaques. So the dementia that they're specifically talking about is Alzheimer's. Okay. So Up until now, most dementia treatments have targeted the amyloid plaques that are found in people with Alzheimer's. However, the latest study published in Science Translational Medicine suggests targeting inflammation in the brain might stop it in its tracks. Yeah, this is right along what Wanda, you know, uh, does. In experiments conducted at UC Berkeley, <laughs> Cool. Uh, senile mice were significantly better at learning new tasks and became almost as adept as those half their age. Experts are optimistic that it'll work in humans and possibly lead to a cure for the devastating neurological condition. Not only that, they hope that any drug developed with this strategy can also help brains recover from strokes, concussions, or traumatic brain injuries. The successful treatment in mice supports a growing body of research, which says that our blood-brain barriers begin to leak as we get older. Interesting. So leaky gut, leaky brain. <laughs> um, this is the filtration system that blocks infectious organisms, leading in chemicals that destroy neurons. Previous MRI scans by study co-author Professor Alan Friedman have found that the barrier breaks down in nearly 60% of the people by age 70. Huh. Experiments in mice showed that causes an inflammatory fog that alters the brain's rhythms, causing tiny seizure-like events. This leads to momentary lapses in the hippocampus that controls memory, shedding fresh light on the symptoms of dementia and other degenerative diseases. Um, quote, we tend to think about the aged brain in the same way we think about neurodegeneration, said senior professor Daniela Koffer at the University of California, Berkeley. 
Age involves loss of function in dead cells, but our new data tell a different story about why the aged brain is not functioning well. It's because of this fog of inflammatory load. But when you remove that inflammatory fog, within days, the aged brain acts like a young brain. It's a really, really optimistic finding in terms of the capacity for plasticity that exists in the brain. We can reverse brain aging. That is awesome. Isn't it? Yep. Scans called uh, EEGs revealed similar, which is uh, electroencephalograms, uh, electro and encephal is the brain. Yeah, encephalon. Uh, yeah. yeah. And electro as well. Electro. Real similar brainwave disruption in humans with Alzheimer's, mild cognitive impairment, and epilepsy. It means leaky brains and abnormal brain rhythms, detectable by MRI and EEG scans, respectively, can be used to flag people with dementia, as well as signal and signal and intervention opportunity using a drug to slow or reverse the disease. The drug called IPW blocks a gene known as TGF-beta that fuels the inflammation-triggering blood protein albumin. So hmm. it is working on a genetic level, which I sometimes have issues with. You what? Where is it? What? The drug blocks a gene known hmm. as TGF-beta, and that gene fuels inflammation because it triggers a blood protein called albumin. Hmm. That's well, weird. We now know two biomarkers that tell you exactly where the blood-brain barrier is leaking. So you can select patients for treatment and make decisions about how long you give the drug. Okay, so it's not permanent. It's just blocking that gene's transcription. That's not too bad. You can follow them, and when the blood-brain barrier is healed, you no longer need the drug. So, well, that's nice. They at least they, they actually have a, a model from beginning to end in mice. Oh, that's, seems, yeah. yeah. For, you know, well, the, the pharmaceutical company will take care of that, though. They'll, they'll be like, no, you're going to have to take this, this drug forever. forever. <laughs> when and they, increasing doses. <laughs> when they gave the drug to mice in doses that lowered the gene's activity, their brains looked younger. There was less inflammation and improved brain waves, as well as reduced seizure susceptibility. The mice also navigated a maze and learned spatial tasks similarly to a young mouse. That is awesome. In an analysis of brain tissue for humans, Professor Koffer found evidence of albumin in aged brains and increased neuroinflammation and TGIF beta production. So all the things that were happening in mice, they found that all in humans with Alzheimer's. So it seems to be the, a one-to-one -one system between the species. Yeah, I remember um, Rhonda saying something about like the... Um, uh, albumin is somehow familiar. Like, well, no, not the... Well, albumin, that's, okay. that's too familiar. Uh, uh, no, uh, there was something um, having to do with it not necessarily being the amyloid beta plaques that were the problem, that the plaques were building up because of the inflammation, so mm. they were looking too far downstream. Mm. And I think I remember that uh, Rhonda saying something about that when she the, in her own like research. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so that makes sense that the that it's not the plaques causing the problem. The plaques are Our more of a symptom. symptom. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, they are causing a problem also, but the point is that they, that they're not the cause, they're an effect. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they're a co comorbidity, not a... Uh, Causality. Yeah. Right. Uh, so that was that, and that's awesome. So we'll, we'll look for more developments uh, on that front, um, because I'm fairly certain it's a new, like a new, new study. Uh, let's see. New, new, new. New, new. <laughs> the real, real. Uh, December 7th. That's two days ago. Fairly <laughs> yeah. recent. Fairly recent, two days ago. Um, I also have another one that was published four hours ago. 
Speaking of inflammation, um, and going back to what we started with, seasonal December stuff. So um, the flu season's here, and it's off to an early and weird start. Okay, then. So here's why the flu season is so unusual. The flu season is here, and it's off to a strange start. The first unusual thing is how early it arrived. There are now 12 U.S. states reporting high levels of flu activity, mostly in the South, and we have a map here, and 15 states reporting moderate activity, according to CDC. For comparison, at the same time last year, just two states reported high levels of activity, as opposed to 12, and only three states reported moderate activity, as opposed to 15. And here we have a little map, and the red, of course, is the highest activity level, with green being moderate, so it looks like... Uh, Aside from, I guess, is that Oregon or Washington? The, the toppest one that connects to Canada? Oh, uh, well, yeah, there's Washington in the top corner, yeah. And then I aside from Washington, right everything there. else is like, everything that borders Canada, aside from, from Washington and whatever is next to... That's Michigan up there. Well, Michigan's the green one. No, Michigan was up... Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, I mean, you might be getting Michigan and the other... Minnesota. Right? Hold on. Okay. So we have this orange one. Yeah. Uh, Washington is fucked up. Arizona's fucked up. All of these are just fine. Um, whatever here is, th this is, sh uh, this is uh, Michigan. Right. The lake. Right. In the middle of it. Yep. What's next to Michigan? Uh, that's is that Ohio? South and North I Dakota. That, is that, <laughs> I think that's OH10. I mean, Ohio. What is that? I think that's Minnesota. What is that? <laughs> I think that's North Dakota. <laughs> Damn, Puerto Rico. Uh, yeah, Puerto Rico and the entire South are just... I'm really bad with the states. Actually, I guess I'm fairly okay, but in this like... I'm terrible with them from just shapes. Like, I need surrounding names to, you know... I used to think Kentucky was, like, on the West Coast. Like, don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because of Hey Arnold, because they had a Asian girl in glasses and from Kentucky. Okay. And it was I, I watched it in Russian, so she didn't she didn't have the drawl. <laughs> so and this was New York and she talked about from how far away she was. This is Kentucky. so insane. The reason you're bad with states is because of Hey Arnold well, had an Asian girl in glasses from Kentucky. That's not why I'm bad it. at states. Okay. <laughs> Just an example of how bad I am at them. I used to think oh, Kentucky God. was on the West Coast, all right? <laughs> I had that fucked up of a version, vision of the states. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. All right, so we got the little map. You guys see that? Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, 12 um, states, high activity, 15 moderate activity. Uh, they probably overlap between them because um, that's 15 and 12 is already, well, no, we have 50 states. So I'm an American citizen, okay? I am proving that I'm an American citizen by being bad at American geography there more you go. than That's true. That's true. You are okay. uh, very good. Very good. I'm getting you make an excellent Russian spy. Thank you. Thank you. You're supposed to tell people that. <laughs> Open secret. Open. Hide in plain sight. Yeah. What's more, um, that most of these flu infections right now are being caused by a strain of the virus known as influenza B, which is unusual because most of the time 
the flu season kicks off with influenza A, which is the H1N1 and H3N2 predominating, while influenza B shows up towards the end of the flu season in the spring. That's a long ass flu season. No wonder I get sick twice. It's like sometimes, not, not sick, but like I get sniffles in the winter and I get sniffles in the spring. And I used to be like, man, are we not used to living here yet? Why am I getting seasonal sniffles? What the fuck? Turns out the flu season takes like half a year. Okay, yeah, generally, um, uh, this is a quote from Dr. Bernard uh, Wiederman, an infectious diseases specialist at Children's National Hospital in Washington. Generally, we see influenza B toward the tail end of the season. No need to, uh, and that's the end of the quote. Great. <laughs> now, we haven't seen this predominance of influenza B in the modern era when we have had ready access to rapid molecular testing. Okay. Um, there could be another peak in flu activity with influenza A strains later in the season, he added. The CDC estimates that there have been at least 1.7 million illnesses, 16,000 hospitalizations, and 910 deaths from the flu so far this season. Holy shit. Well, that's Almost always a thousand like, people died? Well, that's like people who are 85, uh, 95. It's, it's, oh, it's like really, really old people and then an occasional baby. <laughs> it's like there's like nine nine hundred uh, of them, and you know we're we're old. No, and like one baby. Is then they so they say children and old people. But it's not too late to get a flu shot. I don't know about that, because from what I understand about the flu shots, um, they uh, the 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 sign the, not the scientists, but I don't know who who comes up with it, the CDC or who. But from what I understand, the way they do. Um, flu shots is they predict what flu is going to be and then they shoot people up with it and then if it's not that one they try another one yeah for so, like, i don't know about all that doesn't uh, seem that useful to be honest yeah i don't i don't like the uh, i've never gotten a flu shot for the record yes i don't i don't like the tenuous nature of the the the, the back the idea of vaccinating so much so uh, is uh, six months and older. Got to get right. that shot. Yeah, I mean, there's when it, when you're talking about vaccinating against uh, very harmful uh, diseases, duh, of course. But when it comes to like just crazy, I mean, like every, every they you do know, have, fucking six months getting vaccines, yeah. I, I'm not thinking that I think there's a risk uh, to reward ratio there that they've got fucked up. Well, the, the current flu uh, vaccine is quadrivalent. Quadrivalent, yeah. It, ha it protects against two strains of influenza A, and I'm assuming H1N1 and H3N2, and two strains of influenza B, and uh, clearly it's not protecting against this influenza B. <laughs> so so that's, that's happening. People is dying. It's sad. Or not. I don't know. Or they were 85 and like, uh, you know, the bacteria in the room would kill them too. Yeah. True. <clears throat> but yeah, the, the thing is, it's like, okay, yeah, you may have a messed up immune system. And if you take flu shots every year and you don't get sick, you think it's the flu shot doing it. But... Is it? <laughs> is it though? Is it? Is it really though? But I mean, you know, I'm not a doctor. Go take your flu shots. I don't care. Yes. 
Yeah, go go take every fucking four hundred fucking medicines that the doctors give you when you're old. Sure, why not? I'm not going to, but <laughs> you sure can. Go for it. <laughs> they'll, have, they'll, they'll have your medicines going in a, a never-ending loop. You'll you'll take four hundred pills a day. Oh yeah. Uh, bah, bah, bah. See, I'm fairly healthy. I don't have diabetes, so, you know, I've never had to take a flu shot, but whenever you have other things that are wrong with you and other medications that you're taking, hey, who even you, knows how that's going to interrupt? If you got AIDS or something and you're like, uh, you know, <laughs> you're, you're immune compromised, then maybe you should be taking a flu shot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Exactly. I don't fucking know. I haven't cared enough about it to look that deeply into it. I've cared enough about it to say I don't need it. <laughs> and that's good enough for some of us. But hey, your body, your choice. And now I got yes. my take, body, my choice. Take every one of them drugs that the that those pharmaceutical companies push you. Sure, do it. <laughs> or don't. I mean, you know, it's like, I don't know what to say about that. Because on one hand, you're supposed to trust doctors, but on the other hand... No, I, th I think that's just stupid to trust doctors. In America, it but, to me. Yeah. Mm. Want to read some chat? Sure. Let's check out what the chat has to say. Yeah, probably so. I, it's like... I am not a, I'm not a big fan of, of extraneous um, uh, <laughs> vaccines and stuff. It's like, you know, uh, I don't know. Even though, even with killed viruses, there, you know, there's. I just think there's there's some risks that they're not aware of there in in the uh, that they're fiddling with things that they. Uh, think they've got more of a handle on than I think that they've got a handle on. Yeah. How do I read up here? Is there a way to go up further in the oh. chat there? Yeah. Oh, there we go. And I usually, I was covering pretty much everything that was relevant as we went along, but yeah. you, you weren't filling the air as I went to the bathroom, so I had to suggest something. <laughs> well, I'm not that good at just, just filling space. Well, actually, I'm pretty good at filling, yeah. filling space, so long as, I, so long as people are okay with, with you know, some of my, uh, my pet interests. But Oh, hell, they have to be. They, they come <laughs> into our home, come to our house on a day of our daughter's wedding. <laughs> on this, the day of my daughter's wedding. So, um, so the Irishman was pretty good. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, bless the seven concurrent viewers we've had this whole time. Yes, which is thank a big you. Number. Thank you very much for for listening. I, I hope you had fun. Cause we're at least trying to trying to make it fun too. You right. Because we we can talk to each other about dry subjects all day long. But we are trying to make it interesting for others as well. Yes. So so <laughs> some of our some of our silly shit. Hopefully that's that's brought some some interesting strangeness into your life. That's the most we can hope for. 
<laughs> novelty. We will bring novelty, by God. As a low opioid and high opioid autistic together, we... <laughs> With our powers combined. We, we expect you to at least find us interestingly weird. <laughs> um, so yes. Um, oh yes, more comments. And what Big Pharma makes money on is symptomatic treatment. Vaccines barely make any money for them. Very true. That's why they've been pushing them so hard. They need to, they need to change that model. Get you taking them all. It's like, oh, well, there's 400,000 new viruses today. You're going to have to take 400,000, you know, shots. We've identified yet another new virus. And of course, um, I don't really know exactly what influenza, the flu, all that, but like some of the words, some of the letters indicate a root similar to inflammation. Is there in the relationship between inflammation and so. influenza? Okay. Uh, I mean, because not, not that, that, it, I know that is one thing where it's like, you know, uh, taking the vaccine might help um, in, in some ways if, if other things are involved. In, in the process, no, I but... think that, that if, you know, unless there is some sort of issue with immune compromise sort of things that I think that there's a, this trend of taking so many, um, yeah, this to me is not flu shots, right? This, this reeks of yet another, I mean, the, what, what, what pharma and medicine does over and over and over that people don't notice is suddenly there's this new thing everybody's doing. And then you find out it was fucking horrible. And it, it's just happened so many goddamn right. times. In, in this case, it's not <laughs> that they're specifically uh, going after just the treatment in order to make more money. I think in this case, it's the other side of the, the issue that is big pharma, which is trial and error. Yeah, sometimes it, it's they don't do things. At the expense of human lives. Right. Well, they don't do Sanity, things based on understanding. Everything. They do things based on whether or not it was successful. And there's a huge difference between understanding something and just, you know, knowledge progressing at an evolutionary rate because it was either successful or it was not and that's what they they, they do with yeah, all the it, drugs it just smacks up guinea pig dumb yeah it yeah. really does and, and, that's and, what and I don't it's like just and it. it's happened so many fucking times and i know that they don't understand what they're working with they're guessing at it oh, and yeah we and, have plenty of actual literal confessions of like yeah we don't know how this works but I guess yeah they're, they're completely fucking straightforward and open about yeah. how that they don't know how all of these fucking drugs where they have got no fucking clue they just threw shit at a wall until it's stuck they don't know how ritalin and works they, they don't know and how then afterwards work. uh you find just drug after drug after drug after drug just fucking people up you know just over and over and over and so this is yeah i just right. see this is just and and in this case yeah it may not be monetarily right yeah uh, it's, it's not that issue it's the other issue <laughs> well no it, it could just be uh motivated by uh fear or mm -hmm. you know in a desire to try to you know uh to just put something out there because people, people well, also are, people are affected by each other. That's why they want children to be vaccinated so that well, other children don't get hurt. Right. By there them. has been this, this uh, fascination with uh, vaccines because of the anti-vaxxers. And so the, especially and, in the past two years, and then there was that craziness about the swine flu. It's like, yeah, my son had swine flu. He got a little sniffle. It's, you know, it, it just was just no effect. Right. We're working on the uh, amplification. Yeah, I mean, he had H1N1. He specifically had that one. The one that was uh, like the, the big killer, and you know, you find out it's like no, it's just there's a whole lot of bird flu, swine flu, this flu, that flu is a whole lot of like um, the media made money on getting people all whipped into a frenzy, and you know, people selling things, people selling fear. Uh, there's always a market for that, 
And so there will always be people selling it. Uh, and so it's like, yeah, I just don't, you know. Uh, I'm so, not... yeah, we talk about 910 people have died. And so you're like, oh, my God, that's such a big number. But then you look at the number of people killed by police, which is more in a year, which is more than that. And even that number, everyone will be ready to tell you that it's really not that big of a number. Yeah. Uh, compared to other things that people die from, like heart disease, like car accidents, like whatever the fuck else. Alcoholism, heart failure, I don't know. Um, so uh, that is an issue. The amplification and, yes. and the fear-mongering of the right. media. It's Number the one me trending story. Infant dumped in the red ants fucking thing. That's what people yeah. are going to. And and media wants to click, so it's gonna oblige. Yeah, so it's and people are immediate people pay attention to things that are dangerous. And that's why there's so much money in feeding people spear. Mm -hmm. Uh because people are are, are, are hardwired hardwired to look for things that are that are dangerous and mm -hmm. fearful. And so so that's why there's that that's there's a market for it. And so, of course, the market gets more and more saturated. It becomes a feedback loop and people become more and more fearful. And yeah, so. And remember when we were talking about the fear causes? Oh, yeah. All these things are, are related, aren't they? But anyway. Yep. Anyway. Um, so we might discuss the um, how uh, microbiome feeds fear and the patron after chat. Because um, I'd like to go over that since we've been talking about it. Um, I don't want to just drop it off in the resources without. And let me just say, it. I don't understand what what where the fuck Donnie Darko gets off on being against uh, the fear versus love thing. That that movie pissed me off. That movie can can go suck a dick. I fucking hate that movie. Uh, <laughs> Donnie Darko. Wait, isn't he supposed to be a Christ figure? So wouldn't Christian type people be super into love versus hate? No, no, versus fear. Love well, versus fear. No, it was love and hate. No, fear. Oh, was it fear? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, so, and anyway, point is, wouldn't Christian people be like super into that? Not necessarily. No, because that's my question, because the movie is a, this dude is a Christ figure, he died for your sins. That is the point of Donnie Dark. Yes. So, but, but no, no, and it was, but it was, it, it had and it a was pedophile. a bad guy. It was a exactly. pedophile who was right. So I'm thinking of what was, minds created this movie. Did they believe? Uh, no, did, they believe the opposite. Well, uh, no, no. Given the fact that they made Donnie Darko be a Christ-like figure, that means they believe that Jesus died for our sins. So that is the kinds of minds that created this movie. Why the fuck would they be against love versus fear? How uh, is that not a Christian thing to be? Love versus fear. That seems to go right along with well, all the, love the other teachings. Part. I don't think that the, the uh, being that recognizes. But I guess that, you're supposed to be afraid of God. God fearing is a good yes, thing. Yes, that's what that's what it is. Gotcha. That's exactly what it is. That's why they don't like it. Oh my God! You put your finger right on it. Good going. Yay! Yes, they, they think that fear is a good thing. Uh, so that would be yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, wow. Yeah. But isn't love the whole thing that Christ gives you? Yes. So. But also fear. <laughs> no, it's just misinterpretation. It's yeah. Like, it's just, but yeah, they had a they had a bad guy. Yeah, I forgot he was a pedophile. Yeah, they had uh, Patrick Swayze um, acted uh, in a role of a, of a douche. Right. Who was uh, he was kind of like a Tony Ro Tony Robbins figure, a motivational speaker. Yeah, because they li live in fear. Literally, you can show the how the fucking neurons synapse. On, on each other, uh, you know, inhibitorily, where love and fear actually block each other out in, in certain ways, where there's a, there's literally fear blocks love and love blocks fear, 
and it's you know and they have these feedback loops it's just fascinating to see that it's literally right there in the systems of the brain so the fact that we talked about fear and oxytocin today in terms of autism and other stuff and we've talked about uh kappa opioids in the salvia episode and we've talked about autism and oxytocin in the autism 2.0 mankind thing and i will be linking all of those as a card in the corner so you can listen to all of our other episodes but given that we've touched on these topics a year ago and today it seems like a good um continuation next week um because I have two topics that I want to talk about. I want to talk about holonomic, uh, the, like holography, what the fuck is actual holography? Because we've barely, we've touched on that during our quantum thing and I wanted to know more. So that would be a good uh, heavy science episode to have of the physics. And then I also would like to talk about specifically love and fear, how oxytocin and kappa opioid um, amygdala situation synapse on each other, prevent each other from working uh, love trumps fear and fear trumps love in in different ways and uh, that's a very comp like I really like that topic uh, it is very relevant to um, other things we talk about and I think it's relevant to the very nature of like understanding everything po everything understanding from politics to economics to to just the human exactly. experience understanding to our society good versus evil versus if there is a good and evil versus you know, right. how do you define that what is define, good all what of is, those yeah. things are related to this topic in one way or another yep so since you brought up the love and, and fear thing um i think that might be a, a compelling little clickbait thing for people to click on and for us to actually talk about one of our pet subjects <laughs> so so we're going to do that, uh, I think, next Monday, and then um, either next Monday or Monday after that. Oh, shoot. Yeah, about that. We're going to be on Sundays now. We're going to try a thing where um, we're changing a schedule and uh, we need more weekdays for work. Um, and Sunday is already a patron day for me. So we're just going to turn it into a patron day for everybody. <laughs> it's going to be all the patrons, the challenger patrons, the hardcore patrons, all the patrons. Didn't we used to do it on Sunday for a little while? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so because it's just... a cherry stem Sunday. Yeah, so basically we're going back to Sunday. Yeah, we're going back to Sunday. All right. Uh, I had this idea um, because of Bill Burr. His, he has a Monday morning podcast. Thing is, though, we're not exactly we don't have his reach, <laughs> so and we're not on serious radio to where somebody could listen to us on a Monday morning. So my goal was like, hey, it's Monday. Everything sucks. Come listen to us because we're gonna make you feel better. But maybe not necessarily. <laughs> uh, but now I'm like, well, you know what? If we do shows on Sunday, people can just listen to us on their drive to work Monday morning. That works. I mean, the exact same thing I wanted to do. Um, it's just we may not have the same live viewers on Sunday. But you know, who knows? We might have more. Either way, doesn't matter. We're gonna continue forging on ahead. I'm gonna yell into the void if we have to. <laughs> so thank you all for not uh, having us yell into the void <laughs> and actually having some things in the void bounce back to us. <laughs> and uh, we're gonna go over to uh, our Discord to chat with patrons and cover the uh, how microbiome leads to fear or modulates fear or what have you. So we'll be doing an article takedown there and it's gonna be recorded and put up on Patreon as a bonus item for patrons. Unlike this episode, which is live and free, available for everybody. And you can find it in the public posts on Patreon. Once again, real quick, patreon.com slash Anna Cherry. You can find this episode and many others there. And you can also pledge to be part of our super secret, super awesome after show. Super secret. <laughs>
Extra. For, forget that you heard this. Yes. You don't know. Burn after reading. Burn after reading. This is uh, this message will self-destruct in your head in 30 seconds. Yes. It only calls it mild aneurysm. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, mild seizure-like effect. Yes. Thank you again, everybody, and we will see you on Sunday.